who's absorbed more cerebral punishment than Julian Assange, Paul the Chief Harrigan, and Anthony Mundine combined. A core lord, cold feet degenerate of the highest order, mighty of the green corner, representing old-fashioned values of a new age spiritual twist. It's Samini! of the year, Jeremy Miles! Our next champion left school at 17 and spent the next 25 years making surf porn for iconic Aussie magazines, tracks, waves, and surfing world. But perhaps his greatest achievement is sitting opposite your boy, Samini, talking shit on the Ain't That Swell podcast. He's 14 feet and three inches of bacon strips and earlobes. Make him welcome, Vaughn Rinsed Corn Dudley! Hey, uh, well, first of all, I like to say, and I hate speaking, I'm finally, so I want to be a part of this fucking dumb wannabe tennis tour. You know, I think I got his testicles so far off that has that this is bullshit, you know? I'm not thinking about that right now. I'm just thinking about having won the world title and, and hopefully trying to win another one someday. You just drop in and just smack the cool back. Drop down, say, bah! Well, I'll tell you, Stu, I did battle some humongous waves. Surf looks good, Not bad. Ain't that swell with Jed and Vaughn. Oh, those guys are back! Get a haircut. Yes, shredheads, waxheads, kooks and barnies. Welcome to Bourgeois Bay, Australia's new home of the filthy rich, coked up, fat cat fuck. <laughs> Who's paying too much rent up in this motherfucker? Yeah. Who's ready to chop some rich cunt fucking head off? Yeah. Who's ready to drag their keys along the nearest Range Rover on the way home from the venue tonight? I'm your host, the two-time Gold Cone Peace Award-winning surf journalist, Scum Valley's finest himself, the punch-drunk pikey, the sultan of psilocybin, the maestro of micro-dosing. Smithy. I'm joined here, as always, by my loyal co-host and friend, frontman of the Goons of Doom, former editor of Surfing World magazine, Tracks magazine, Waves magazine, Vaughn Rinsed Corn, Deadly. Thanks, Bibby. Good to be here, bro. Woo! Byron Bay, bourgeois. How you going, mate? Are you, are you tripping out being here or what's happening? I'm tripping out. I'm tripping out. Yeah, it's uh, changed a lot since uh, Nimbin Age of Aquarius Festival 1973. I think that's fair to say. Uh, but I just want you all to know this. Know this, Swellians. Know this, that when that filthy, 
fat white slug is vibrating on his Botoxed to fuck trophy wife, trying to fill her with toxic pus. That she is thinking of you, Mr. Swellian. That's right, you, Mr. Swellian, with your beans and brown rice eight pack. All dick ribs and dangy, she's thinking of you, Mr. Swellian. Mowing her lawn, cleaning her pool, dropping off her fruit, she's thinking of you, Mr. Swellian. Know that, Mr. Swellian. And know this, Mr. Swellian. There is two things in life money can't buy. Waves and respect. And rich cunts get neither of them. Well, uh, yeah, it's trippy for me to be here too. Like, I lived in Sydney for about 30 years. And whenever anyone would ask me where I was from, it was just easy for me to say for, I was from Byron. But actually, I'm not from Byron. I'm from New Brighton, about 20, 20, 20 k's up the coast. And even when I was a grommet, mate, even when I was a grommet, when I was 13, we, we knew all the way back then that Byron crew were sus, can't say. We fucking knew. We had Brunswick heads were fuckwits. Mullenwood just tweaked out weirdos and Byron was sus cunts and that's just how it was. But seriously, uh, it was a pretty tight surf community. Uh, we, were, we were like all mates. We used to have uh, inner club, you know, board riders challenges and stuff like that. And uh, it was good fun. It was a good time to grow up. And, um, but Byron was pretty much the jewel when you lived at Newey because fucking, you know, as soon as the wind comes up, as soon as the swell comes up. You just could either go north or you came south down to Byron. And when you're a Grom, the pass was where it was at, man. You just wanted to surf out there. I got my first barrel there. What? That I made, yeah. First you made it? Spectator. Jimmy? Still, still talking about it 40 years later, mate. So it was a fucking good one. You know that. Um, but, yeah, so, and then, like, when I was a kid, mate, getting my mum to bring me up, the surf fucking, it wasn't an industry, but there was just this fucking cottage fucking corners up here, mate. We had the... You know, the mad dog shop on the way in. We had fucking town and country out there. We had fucking bay action. We had fucking sky surfboards, mate. I'd just go in there and just grab the wetties and just get my nose in the crutch and just be oh, fuck, mum, can I get a wetties? She'd be, fuck no. <laughs> and I'd be like, fuck, all right. Well, just another winner freeze my tits off. But um, to this day, the sky surf shop had the best marketing campaign I've ever seen in surfing years and years of working on stuff mags and in the media and stuff uh this was the best sales pitch i ever saw it was um it wasn't the sky surf shop anymore it was balsy's surf shop balsy love you mate wherever you are but uh yeah it was uh it was a year it was splendor in the grass he's still out there on his fucking nine two just fucking two foot just fucking whacking it and uh but yeah, so, uh, you know, we were going, walking past and you, all the fucking linen crew wearing their linen, the festival goers, off to watch, off to watch MGMT at Belongeal Fields. And Bilesy's just sitting out the front of fucking Bilesy's surf shop in a deck chair with a long neck just going, Oi, come and buy something or I'll kill ya! Well played. Yeah, and sure enough, sure enough, mate. I get to the MGNT, the MGNT concert. It's like 11 o'clock at night. Ping is kicking in. Everyone's, everyone's just fucking going off. See the fucking kids there with their fucking dreadies and their feathers tied into their hair and their mesh singlets. And every single one of those cunts had a pair of Bilesy Surf Shop boardies on, mate. <laughs> $1.20 at Tudor Beach. Unbelievable. Fucking best. Best marketing to this day. So sick. Up.
Hey. Not that fucking ballsy. Yeah, mate. So, what do you reckon? Let's get it on, Borno. We got a big night tonight, Swellians. Hope you're in the mood to uh, listen to some absolute fucking legends of this area. Talk surf shit till it drives you fucking inside out. Let's get the first one out right now, Smithy. Our next guest has made a huge effort to drive all the way here tonight from his home in the faraway land of Lennox Head. A two-time world junior champion and star of the Joel Parkinson bio-epic Free as a Dog, he was earmarked for greatness. But after 34 years of grinding the queue without qualifying, he changed his focus to helping the next generation of North Coast rippers follow their dreams to pro-surfing greatness. Proving once and for all that those who can't do end up being coaches. Now a highly regarded shaper, a leader of the community, and co-host of the fantastic Ball and All podcast, it gives us great pleasure to welcome to the stage, James Jimmy Wood. Woody, everyone. Yeah. Ah, the Lennox crew are out in force. Yeehaw. Just a little public surface announcement to all the Lennox crew. The Byron crew are all smearing shit all over your car handles and windscreens outside. How <laughs> 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 yeah, good. Mate, when was the last time you came to uh, the Northern? Uh... I don't know, fuck, it was, it was probably a pretty big night several years ago. I actually fucking have no idea. Only just recovered. Yeah, I'm just coming good. <laughs> My eyes haven't come good, but I've just coming good. What was the story with the, uh, the, shit, uh, the shit on Steph's window, as they call it? Uh, the shit in Slossy's shoe, the shit on the, uh, under the handlebars? We just have really strong... Really powerful pelicans that fucking fly around and shit on cars. Pelicans that eat Big Macs for dinner. Yeah. Heap of roadkill eating pelicans that fucking shit. <laughs> Mate, um, thanks so much for joining us tonight on uh, Ain't That Swell. Uh, you've got your own podcast, which uh, we've all been listening to and uh, I've been on a guest on a few times. How's that going? Ball and all podcast? Yeah, it's really fun. Good fun. We get a few different crew from all sorts of backgrounds with sport and talk a bit of shit and... Yeah, it's been going really good. I don't know. It's definitely not as loose as this, but it's fucking we, tr we try. You'll get there, mate. You'll get there. <laughs> yeah. um, Woody, mate, you're a, you're a two-time junior world champ. You're a, a, a child prodigy. Uh, you were in Parco's signature film made by Jack McCoy when uh, you were just a tiny little grommet. We had a dog in that film as well. You had a dog in that, that movie, spoke, yeah. spoke, so yeah, it was good. Yeah, talking dog. That's yeah. pretty normal for these parts. <laughs> yeah. uh, mate, what's, uh, what, what do you remember of that time of your life? Like, was it a bit of a blur? Was it... Yeah, it was. I was actually probably a lot of the time up here in this area, like in the back. Yeah. <laughs> I was either here or I was over there at La La Land. So it was... <laughs> A lot of time spent actually in Byron. 
That's why I haven't, I've, I've only just come good. I've only just recovered. And, mate, after, like, 37 years of doing the QS, when did you finally realise it was time to chuck in a towel? Uh, probably after the 36th year. I was like, fuck. <laughs> I'm coming 100th. Uh, I need to really start thinking about other stuff. <laughs> uh, in all seriousness, though, mate, you fucking... You, you did some incredible stuff uh, in your surf career, and... Uh, as you sort of moved out of that and into the new world, you started shaping boards, you started coaching. Yeah. How, yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, that's what I'm doing now. So I just fucking jumped, jumped onto that stuff sort of slowly after coming 400th on the QS. And then, um, yeah, it's just sort of slowly gone from there, really. So it's, it's something other than lifting bricks or fucking carrying scaffolding. So... I'll take it. I'll will take anything I can get really at the moment. <laughs> I've been coming 500th on the QS for 25 years. It's it's pretty shit. <laughs> and from our shelving pingers at La La Land, you've actually <laughs> you've actually become something of a mentor to the youth there at Lennox Head. I understand. Yeah. Uh, and, and I don't mean just like slinging them cut price pingers. I mean like you get them on the the Wim Hof program. You're swimming laps in the tea tree lake. Yeah. Talk to us a bit about that. Well, the, the beauty of that was uh, Lala shut down. It burnt down. So we, we couldn't go there anymore. And it was too expensive to get beers at, at the top pub. So we just started swimming the lake. So, yeah, it's been good. It's been, it's been really good. It's actually going really good. And Everyone, just, everyone's swimming. Just before we get our, <laughs> our next guest out... Like, we've got a big poster of Wim Hof over here. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you guys can read it. It says, just breathe, cunt. Just breathe. <laughs> but can you, can you sort of, like, actually give us some of the benefits that you've gotten out of, you know, getting stuck into this? And I, I know that the Lennox crew have fucking done such a good job at, like, banding together and, and really getting stuck into, I don't know, looking after each other and doing really good things that make you feel good about life. Because you, you can also get stuck into being a fuckwit and trying to punch on all the time and be that fucking, you know, just <laughs> angry, <laughs> angry old local kind of, that, that fucking boring, classical, jaded steez, but you guys have kind of gone the other way. Uh, yeah, well, a lot of us can't fight, so we haven't really tried to fight. <laughs> fight. Well, I can't fight. But, uh, yeah, we've had a few crew commit suicide and stuff like that, so everyone, everyone's been pretty good with trying to get around each other and, and try and, I don't know, do something besides go to La La's or the Northern Backroom and just get on it. So it's been, uh, it's been good. We've been mental. Good try, on you, trying to sort of, you know, get any sort of anything we can do See to you. sort of pump everyone up. Good on you, man. Fucking good to hear, mate. Round of applause for our guest host tonight, Woo. Jimmy Wood. All right. Very, very special guest coming out next. And ladies and gentlemen, can I please get a big round of applause for our in-house band tonight, Bunny Racket. Ow! And now... Our next guest is a man who needs no introduction. A two-time world champion. A three-time pipeline master. A sack full of walnuts, so void of body fat, you could grate a block of soft cheese on his abdomen. 
In his prime, he was a man who excelled in monstro tombs of mortal conequence. But today, he has transformed his life from living on the edge at light speed into that of a blissed out meditation swami who would be right at home living with the orange people in the hills behind Kurabel. But this gaff wearing a madman will never turn his back on the sea. He is our tribal elder, our sage of searing lacerations, our boomer with the backside boomer, the spiritual lord of all swellians. Please make him welcome, Thomas Victor Carroll! Fuck yeah. Welcome to the program, Tommy, again. It's been a while, mate. Uh, been uh, a while. When was the last time? Down there in Torquay with... Uh, <laughs> yeah, with, with uh, yeah, like... Your mate, we right? Had, we had Morris Cole. Yep. That was a memorable moment. Yeah. Well, and, I remember that. Damien Cole. Uh, Kong. Did we have Kong at one point? We had Kong on up at um, was he Caloundra. He was pretty crazy, or...? Yeah, he was cruising. He was cruising. Um, we had Taj Burrow... Taj, that's right, Taj. Morris Cole and Tom Carroll on the panel. Kong must have left a big impression on me when I watched that. Because I'm going, fuck, I feel like I'm with you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, mate, uh, are you cool to just lead us all in a, uh, just a guided meditation quickly? Let's go. Right there, just close your eyes really nice and slowly. Yeah, just for a moment. Just very, very slowly, just close your eyes. See how you go with that. <laughs> Done. <laughs> mate. How'd you feel? Fuck, I feel better already, mate. We're in there. There you go, folks. Three seconds of meditation a day will change yeah, your life. Three seconds, there you go. you change your life. <laughs> uh, Tom, just, uh, you know, you have been diving deep on, on meditation for a while now. Yeah. We spoke about it last time you were on the program, but it's worth yeah. diving into again now because... Lately, uh, for a good while now, I've been getting up in the morning, joining you on Instagram, and, yeah. and just getting started on the day with some fucking clarity, man. And it's yeah. just game changing. Well, it does. It, you know, like we're so we're so like rigged into sort of like going and doing, being the the doing person. That's all I do. I just do until you fall asleep at night, maybe. You know. Uh, so we only have two states of kind of consciousness. Is either. Just go do and then just no consciousness. You're just asleep. So we just sort of get a very kind of a pretty sort of one-dimensional version of ourselves. Until we start to put something like this in our life, we start to sort of open up that place within us that's all, everyone's got it. Every single one of us in this room has it. Uh, and it's for free. <laughs> it doesn't cost anything. It's sitting there in there and it can grow. It can actually grow. We just think that we're going to live our life with this little thing that's in there. It's called consciousness. And uh, it, we can actually grow that, getting us... I know it sounds crazy, but doing nothing. <laughs> we can actually do it by... We get it sometimes surfing. In fact, surfing feels so good. We just all so into it. And we get that feel good, no matter whether it's a, just a swim. 
with the ocean. We get a scent of being sort of scented and we come in feeling a little bit sort of better than what we did when we went in. So, but we can't always go surfing. Uh, we get it when we maybe go for a walk in the bush, you know, we get it, that sense of, some people get it playing golf, a sense of sort of being in the flow. Uh, but whatever it is, but we can do this at any time, anywhere, if we just have a practice in place. And we can start to expand that place which is in us. And that is actually starts to open up op options in our life. And that is the kind of options we want. And that's just go towards pure froth. <laughs> it's just literally pure froth. Yeah. And enthusiasm for what we love doing most. And, and it might be some sort of mission you want to do. But you can't get there because you're kind of stuck in the doing of this other thing. And then we start to sort of open up our options if we stay centred, get some stillness, and this cool shit starts to happen. We don't have to go digging around. We don't have to sort of start sort of pulling stuff out. We don't have to take anything. It's just all sitting there ready to go. Speaking of uh, finding that zen, finding that fun, that froth, uh, where are you finding that in the water at the moment? <laughs> I understand well, now you've been foiling a bit up yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, I just, I actually was with the Seni Coast foil pigs this afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> Paul Green from Slime Surf Shop. I was with him, we're doing like a little foil clinic down there in the Richmond River. Pretty sketchy in there, by the way. Sitting teabagging in that, that bit of brown water. Teabagging is always risky business, Tom. Oh, teabagging. And then, uh, but I was, I was towing in with the hog this morning. Hedgie. Happy birthday, Hoggy, in the room. Oh, Where we is love he? the hog. Don't we love the hog? He's the best. It was his birthday today. Happy birthday, Hog. You're the man. Woo! We love you. Love you to death. He's a great human and he's just pure froth right there. <laughs> and how's the way he lays turns down? It's just beautiful. Beautiful. What does foiling give you? Like, what do you get out of it? What's that? Foiling, like, uh, what's the buzz with foiling? I've never yeah, done it. Yeah, it's just riding a wave, another way of riding a wave. Just like body surfing, mat riding, you know, longboarding, you know, God forbid, uh, goat boat riding. Uh, you know, I, I don't know, but it's just, uh, it's one of the most free feelings, like there's no bump or drag or anything. It sort of releases you into this bump. You don't want to have... Any, changes the mind because you can't take a steep drop uh, yet. I, I can't. I'm just scared shitless of a three-foot wave now. <laughs> but, which is a new thing for me. Yeah. And so uh, foiling just gives you this free glide. It's all this new stuff around it too. And the foiling community is just buzzing right now. They're just frothing and it's just a lovely, inclusive community. There's no... But when I... I you know, surfing, I was getting barreled this morning. I just can't get barreled on a foil. But it's just another way of riding a swell. <laughs> you know, that's all tapping into the energy. Yeah, man. Yeah. yeah. You want to tap into that energy whenever you can. And how long, like, what is the longest ride that you've had? How, what's, what are you averaging, even? Um, damn, sort of was going into all that data stuff in my iWatch, but I just let go of that stuff. I think... Some rides were getting down in Sydney, this long reef about, uh, actually out of box, the box down there in Sydney, got one ride was like a minute and a half, 
a minute and a half, which is, you know, the legs get start burning within 10 seconds, you know, 10, 15 seconds. And, uh, but we just, it's, it's because it's so all-encompassing, we're not feeling what we're, you know, putting out until, like, you're on the back of the jet ski, oh, hang on, I'm feeling a little bit wonky. <laughs> That's for me anyway, because the froth's so high. Hey, Tom, um, years ago, when I was a grown, about 13, a movie came out called All Down the Line. And um, it was, a lot of it was based here and filmed in Byron Bay, and it, it basically introduced Danny Wills to the world. He was a 13-year-old kid. Oh, Willsy! We, we wanted to get him on. It's his daughter's birthday, so we couldn't really... Uh, pull off the double but what do you remember that of that time and what do you remember of seeing that kid surf for the first time because he was like one of the first I feel like it was it was pre-Slater it felt like I mean I know it was probably a, a bit after but he was like the kid that every kid wanted to be. Well Slater was on the Slater was doing his east coast thing just smashing everyone ripping the bag out of no one knew about him but Danny Wills was kind of doing the same thing here Danny was in that, in that all down the line movie, I always remember surfing with him at, at, at really nice Angari. We got scored a couple of really good days at Angari shooting that. And there's this little kid, like he's 12. He's like tiny. Me and Willsey are about the same size, but he was a tiny 12 year old. And he was just dropping down, making like a four foot wave look eight feet. And, but he was carving. Willsey, where is he? Yes! You love Wilsey! Fuck a Wilsey! Come on, Chuck! Oh, yeah! Wilsey! Wow. How good is this? Danny Wills, ladies yeah, and gentlemen! Yeah, Wilsey! Oh, mate! The Ain't That Swell Variety Hour has just gone turbo. Wilsey! So, so stoked you made it! Bingo! Oh, thanks, mate. Well, <laughs> let's get stuck into it. Man of many words. I've got to know, like, Tom's talking about. <laughs> You know, this, this seminal film, and it's a film that changed your life, but what do you remember of those times? Like getting to surf with Tom Carroll must have been fucking oh, well. mind-blowing. <laughs> oh, it was amazing. You know, you're, you're very, very young, and you get to surf uh, with your peer and someone that you've always looked up to, and, yeah, it was awesome. Got to spend six weeks in Angari, and, uh, yeah, far out, you know. No school, get to hang out with, with Tom and Ross and, you know, Dave McCauley and, yeah, it was unreal. Loved it. And, and Tom and Ross were fairly calm characters back in those days. They were into the meditation <laughs> and stuff already. Yeah, yeah, chalk, <laughs> chalk and cheese. <laughs> A little Mate, bit different back then. <laughs> this is uh, just so uh, cool to have you on. Like, got to know, man, like, what, what are your, fuck, when you think about the Byron of your youth, you know, it's surfing around here and growing up here, like, fuck, what do you remember? What do you remember about that, that time? Oh, well, oh, mate, it was, it was unreal. Like, we were, there wasn't a lot of people around. We, we had a, a lot of amazing waves, you know, it was... Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, look, we were very lucky, like, you know, we've, we've got a, an amazing community and, you know, there wasn't a lot of tourists back then, so we got heaps of waves and shitload of fun. You know, grew up surfing amazing point breaks. You know, we had the pass, we had broke, Lennox, bloody, you know, 
Unreal. And what about, what about the beginnings of your world tour career, Willsie? Take us back to your rookie year on tour and just like, yeah, I mean, fuck, it must have been a culture shock coming from sleepy little Byron Bay, sleepy little Johnson Street. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, you know, it's, well, shit, what do I say? Um, yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, it was full on. But, you know, we, I was very lucky. You know, I had a great family, heaps of support. Um, yeah, what do I say? Great waves, you know. Very, very lucky, you know. What? Wait, what about... Let's, I don't know what I want to ask, lads. Talk us through the quick no, cam. Mate, you don't get questions, bud. Okay. Hey. <laughs> How are you then? No, mate. All right. Look, I think if we've got if we've got Tom and Wheelsy up here, we got to get our next guest up as well, because then we can uh, really unload some Byron juice. Let's get our next guest up, and then we're going to start unloading with the boys. I'll get, I'll get a question. <laughs> it's time! This is the main event of the evening. Fighting out of Suffolk Park. Weighing in at 13 kilos. This former pipeline master, shipstone pioneer, and shops the madman. He's a cone-ripping, cone-packing lord of the highest order of walking advertisement for the multitude benefits of smoking tonnage worth of marijuana in your crucial developmental years. Please welcome to the stage, the Kieran Karanich Kieran Perra, ladies and gentlemen. I think we got four Pipeline Masters on stage and number 500 on the QS. Yeah. Mate, this is an all-time panel. <laughs> <laughs> Only joking, mate. Love you. KP, welcome to the show, man. So good to have you on. Thanks. Fucking great to be here. Is Willsie your surprise to us? Because I appreciate that. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, I was trying to convince him the other day, but... Um, yeah, he had a birthday party that he had to attend to, which is fine. And he's turned up now. He rode in on his big fucking horse. <laughs> <laughs> he, did a, he did a good job. <laughs> i seen that, Wilgo. <laughs> hey, uh, just a quick, nice, easy... Sorry. Nice, easy Byron Bay question to get you going, KP. Uh, have you vaccinated your kids yet, mate, or what's going on there? <laughs> Don't answer, don't answer. They've Tear all, the fucking pub in half. They've all had the jab. Um, mate. Smitty? Yeah, let's go back to the start, mate. Let's go right back to the start of KP in Suffolk Park when you were just a 13-year-old chronic bong smoker. <laughs> mate, uh, you know, the stoned, 
The stoned, flannelette-wearing Northern Rivers bonghead is a... It's a famous archetype, really. You know, a well-known archetype. I guess what's lesser, what's lesser associated with this famous Northern Rivers archetype is getting fucking 90-plus in your HSC. Like, can you explain how that happened? I don't have an answer for that. I'm sorry. <laughs> Fuck, I wish I did. Um, yeah, it was... Yep. It was good times. That's all I can say. Is it true that you still have the uh, Northern Rivers regional record for most consecutive cones smoked in one sitting? Is that... I'd love to say I did. I could name a few people that do, but uh, I, yeah, I gave it a shot. I gave it a good crack. Oh, well, that's, that's all about giving it a crack. We're all about here, it ain't that swell. Uh, but yeah, what was, your, what was your weapon of choice? Was it uh, the Orchi or the, uh, the Gatorade? Or a, a Orchi. Orchi, yeah, of course. The smouldering Orchi. Disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. Yeah, because the, the day you, you finished high school, you, you racked up the 97%. You, you dropped that Orchi on the ground and you never looked back KP. I had a moment of reflection for a little while there. You had a moment um, of reflection after you gave up smoking cones. Yeah, it was, no, it was during. It was definitely yeah. during. And, uh, yeah, I went cold turkey from that point on. I think I was 19 and just realised I uh, needed to get out of that little circle I was in and dropped it and moved on and, uh, yeah, had a good time. Yeah, I mean, still, you're a walking advertisement for uh, yeah, you know, chronic bong smoking in your crucial developmental years. I can, I can see it now all up and down the East Coast. There's going to be dads, dads in, in their kids' bedrooms standing over little Johnny. Little Johnny, you're finishing that mulbowl before you go to school, mate. I work hard to put mud on the table and you're going to finish that before you go to school. Because... Uh, I mean, it's incredible what you've, what you've accomplished. You're a pipe master, you're a chopes, chew pig, shipsterns pioneer, and you got the cushiest job in WSL history. It's incredible. You fucking, you fucking killed it, mate. You killed it. But, um, do, do you want me to respond to that? or <laughs> It's just a comment. But, uh, mate, let's, uh, let, where do we want to start here? I guess... Um, do we start with the, the tour career, the shenanigans, like Chopes 97? Remember that? Was that uh, the first ever? That was a long time ago. I don't remember shit. <laughs> I think it was the first ever, first ever contest at Tahiti. Were you in that? And it was a four-star QS. It was like the Black Pearl Pro or some shit. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it wasn't very big. It was actually like three, three to four foot and kind of shitty. It was the south swell. It was running down the point. And no one could figure out why the fuck we were there. We were like, everyone's talked about this amazing wave in Tahiti and, and uh, we can't see it. And that was year one. And then year two was pretty fucking mind-blowing. Mm. Yeah, year two was a, a bit of a landmark year. Will were you at that comp too? <laughs> yeah, I was. Yeah, so this, <laughs> this is, uh, this yeah, is I, like... But this, I wish I wasn't. This was the, the, basically the birth of Chopes in, in Main Street. You know, a lot of crew obviously knew about it. Tom, you probably knew about it and surfed it way back in the day, but... That contest, you know, just was basically like getting a packet of Skittles and just chucking it into a lion's mouth. It was fucking so hectic. What do you remember of, like, just being there and... Well, you know, you know like, the, the, the morning where you're, you're going out on the boats and you're actually looking into the fucking moor of these waves. Well, it, it wasn't very fun. So, and so the bloke that's sitting on the left of me had this unique smile on his face... 
and he was happy about the whole thing. Whereas I was actually shitting myself, so... Yeah. I was shitting myself. I, I will no, say right. that. No, but Kate, no. like, so I know that... Why were you smiling? Like, why, where did this fucking thing in you, just this natural desire for fucking that sort of surf... Where did it come from? Did it the come past. from here? I think it came from the past. So <laughs> pretty fucking sure I got it from behind the rock in the past. <laughs> I do not know. I'm fuck, not sure. I just love it. But Loved it. The Northern Rivers, it has like a, a, a crazy record of producing really good tube riders, like just top class. I mean, we got uh, Torrent at the moment doing crazy shit at Shipsterns. Uh, yeah, it's just an incredible, incredible tube rider. I mean, what is it in Solly, Bailey? Uh, what is it in the... Solly! We've got Jezza, Tubby Where's down Solly? here. Couple of local core wards. Yeah, Jezza! Mr. Swellian. <laughs> but, but yeah, what is it about the Northern Rivers that produces uh, such good tube riders? Because I mean, I guess you've got every kind of shaped barrel you can ever imagine here, just on a, a micro scale. Has that got something to do with it? Yeah, I reckon it's that need to get out of here because it's all beach breaks. There's no reef. I think everyone's got that like crazy desire to just go and challenge themselves. And that's... Uh, we don't have the luxury of a reef, good reefs in our backyard, and I reckon it drives people to want it. But you can tune up your technique here, can't you, on all, all shapes and uh, sizes of barrel up to six foot, and I guess once you've got the technique down, you can take that and apply that to the world's heaviest waves, and it, it still fits, something like that. The pass. I'd rather say that again. I thought you'd say that. But no, honestly, like, yeah, the, <laughs> it's what he goes, fucking no. Tallow's, just, uh, Tallow's left. One time, uh, I was commentating in Tahiti, and it was, uh, it was a big year, but it wasn't... I don't think it was a West year, but it was, it was huge. It was massive. It was, I was on the back of Poto's ski because the, uh, the PA had broken. So I had a, a walkie-talkie. I'm on the back of Poto's ski. Just holding on to that fucking holding eight pack. On. And just we had, going, oh, help me. We had to zoom in and out of the impact zone between sets and tell the guys their score. So, uh, you know, like, the set would come... It was K- KP, Jake Patterson and Oki in this heat. And so you had two pipe masters and KP. They hadn't won one yet. And KP is just taking off and getting so fucking coned, mate. Just going, Rawr! just having the sickest time. And Oki and Jake can't even get a wave. And I'm zooming in and going, KP, last wave, 9.8, mate. And I'm zooming back out. And then I'm zooming back in. I'm going, KP, 10 on that last one, mate. <laughs> Zoom back out. I zoom back in. I zoom back in. I'm, I've got the walkie-talkie and I go, hey, KP, and Jake Pato looks at me and goes, we fucking know, mate. Hey, I, I remember that heat. It was a fucking highlight, I will say. It was a highlight. Yeah. The yeah. waves were incredible and it was, it was probably as good as it gets for 10, 8 to 10 foot. Uh, it had a bit of south in it, so it was running down the reef really good. And I just remember paddling, I remember paddling past Snake at one point and he was looking at me, he's like, why, why are you fucking going over there? I'm like, well, that's where you've got to take off. What Dude, are you doing, you fucking idiot? <laughs> Not really, but he was like scratching his head. Yeah. He never learned, did he, Jake? Because he eventually took off in that same spot and uh, faded Glyndon Ringrose, didn't he? And got the double barrel tan, that was... Uh... 
That's quite, right. Quite shameful. One of the low lights of Snake's career, I'd imagine. Oh, I, yeah, I think he thought he got a really good wave on that one. Mm. Willsy, you got like one of the uh, one of the uh, probably the best three point rides of all time at Chopes. <laughs> oh, it was on the cover of Tracks magazine. I'm not joking. It was fucking. Oh, thanks, Blakey. Insane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. It's funny, isn't it? And I, <laughs> I look at the tour now, and I'm like, you know, the guys that are getting bloody. Four-point rides for doing the craziest shit. Um, I just thank God I'm not there now. <laughs> uh, Willsie, I mean, I think you, you hung up the rashy what when you were about 32, 33. I feel like you had so many more good years uh, to give on, on surfing's elite level. Why did, you, why did you retire so young? Oh, mate, I was just pretty much exhausted, you know. So I travelled the world with my wife, Kirstie, who's... She's in the crowd tonight. Yeah. Swelly and Queen. Yeah. And, um, and Jaden and Simone. Simone might have got kicked out. It's her 20th birthday tonight. So she actually got kicked out of the uh, top pub, hence while I'm here now. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Oh, wow, that is so cosmic. Yeah. Oh, but look, I was just tired. I was tired, mate. I was tired. I'd been, I'd been doing contests since I was 10 years old, and I'd, I'd just had enough. Can you imagine raising a family on the world tour when you've got fucking, like, AI and Hedgy in the next room just fucking ripping the bag out of it all night? You know? <laughs> <laughs> fucking no sleep. Mate, <laughs> I stayed as far away from those pricks as I could. Because you're actually the first to do it, right? To, to take your family on the world tour. You kind of set a precedent for the likes of Parco and that later on. But, yeah, what was that experience like? Oh, look, to be honest, it was, you know, when we had Jaden, it was, you know, we were, I was 22, um, Kirsty was 19. And it just happened really fast. And, you know, I was just like, what are we going to do? And I was like, well, let's just, we'll just go. We'll just take him. Yeah, so... We, 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 we knew no different, you know, she was, Kirsty was going to back me and that's just how it was. We just, we, we, we did it and I'm glad that I opened up the doors and that I could show people that you could actually enjoy doing what you love, what you love with your family. Fuck, that's cool. That's so respectful. I I admire a family man more than any other kind of man. But I'm I'm interested to know, did they have the kind of uh, the infrastructure set up at that point? You know, what did uh, daycare look like in the ASP circa 1999? Well, it was fucking non-existent. (laughs) (laughs) No, look, it got better. (laughs) As the years went by, it got better. But, oh, look, you know... The ASP didn't have a lot of money back then, you know, and they did their best. You know, that's all you can ask for. So, you know, fortunate. We're very fortunate. We all are. Mate, while we got you up here, we, I've got to ask, like, the, the 98 title race... Uh, Don't go there, mate. No, I've got to go there. i got to. I got to go there because it, it was a, such a uh, fuck. It was such a huge thing for Australia. We hadn't had anyone sort of you know take on Kelly in that way for a long time. You and Mick Campbell were fucking right up him, and uh, 
to the point where, you know, you got coming into that last event of the season and it's, it's fucking, he's behind. He's actually got a fight for, for the first time in a long time. What do you remember of that energy, like going into that? Because like, you and Mick, you, you basically took what Tom did, brought athleticism, training, fucking focus and, and, and athleticism to it that hadn't been around for a while. And it looked like it was just all fucking shaping up and it was an absolute classic showdown. How was the tension? Like, how'd you deal with that anxiety heading into that contest? Oh, well, I pretty much lost the, the, the title in Brazil, really. Um, yeah, it was full on. Like, it, you know, I was very young. It was only my second year on tour and, you know, all of a sudden I was leading the ratings for, you know, six months or whatever and... You know, and, you know, coming into Pi, I... Yeah! Fucking hell, give it up. Yeah. Oh, it, it, it all happened very, very fast. So, you know, when you're not ready for that, you, you don't know how to deal with it. So I decided to go and spend a couple of weeks in Sydney training with, um, with Tom and Rob just to get my head into to the game where... Oh, look, you know, looking back on it now, I probably could have spent those two, three weeks in Hawaii, you know, like surfing pipe and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, at the end of the day, I mentally I needed to be ready and I just chose that path and that's what I did. So, you know, ultimately I didn't win, but, you know, it was a great time. Yeah, man, fuck, to be in that... Like to be in a, in a full-blown arm wrestle, like a headlock arm wrestle with the goat, is fucking skits, mate. And it, and it was basically that close. It was a fin width, you know. It's crazy. But and, and in your second year on tour, yeah. like I'm, I'm so blown away by that. Uh, I'm fascinated to know, like, you know, when did it click for you when you were here? Like, at what point did you, you know, realise that you could make a fist of pro surfing? Who were your kind of early mentors that brought you through? Well... I guess there was a deciding moment in my career on my very first year that I did. So I hadn't made a heat for like 10 events in, the, in my first year. And then we got to Portugal and I was just doubting everything that I was doing. I was doubting whether I was good enough to be there, yada, yada, yada. Um, and then I had, I can't, I think it was a, maybe it was a, 33rd round heat against Victor Rebus and I scraped through Victor only needed like a 1.5 to beat me and got like a 1.2 or something and then I end up drawing Kelly in the next round of course you know and I was pretty rattled I was like fucking hell here we go of course I'm going to draw Slater um, and then I was trying to get my focus you know walking out it was forget of Foz and it was pumping. Like, it was like six foot. Epic. Like, you know, like I was... <laughs> yeah. Oi. Like... Ballina. Lennox. It was like Lennox. Well played. Well played. <laughs> Don't go to Ballina. There's too many sharks. And um, anyway, funny story. I'm walking out. My head's down. And I'm... And I walk past Hoyo and, and Luke Egan. And I, and I said, oh, I says, fuck, what do I do, you know? And they said, 
get the inside and fucking give it to him. Yes! Get the inside, take his fucking head off! So I did. And so I ended up beating him. And that was a turning point, you know. And I think I made the quarterfinals or the semis. And that was the that was the turning point that I felt like I deserved to be there. Incredible. And what was the dynamic like with Slater uh, when you were going toe to toe with him? You know, what were your interactions with the goat? I mean, you're the the Byron goat, the the bi goat. Uh, <laughs> One last goat on the lighthouse. <laughs> Mate, they got rid of those guys 20 years ago. Yeah. Just get up on a Sunday morning, there's Wilsey nibbling some grass. Yeah, but uh, we got to ask all three of you guys. Like, your, your dynamic with Kelly... Everyone's got, when you're competing against Kelly, some fucking mindfuck story with him. Have you got a couple? Well, yeah. Because <laughs> uh, I beat him. And then, anyway, we, we, we got into the... Must have been like 20 minutes after that, you know. And there was... I think it was like a pinny or a pool table or something set up in the back there. And he's... Yeah, yeah and he dead set wanted to challenge me. <laughs> Oi, to get back home. But I fucking refused. Mate, so. the heat's over. You're lost. Yeah. Yeah, if you get a win on him, you can't... Don't fucking give it back to him. No way. T- TC, you, you had a couple of crossover heats with Kelly. Did, was, was he formed yet? Did he have that sort of, like, cunning in him to sort of, like, try and unravel, unravel you? Or was he just in awe of you, like the rest of us in this room are? It was just, uh, like... He, he just, you know, I had a couple of heats uh, with him. The last one I actually beat him was in Brazil. And, uh... But... But he, he just wanted to leave Brazil. So I don't know whether he threw it or not. He was just, like, so over it. But, uh, you know, it was always... He is always playing... He's just competitive 24-7. So he's always playing the game. You know, and he sees you as a threat of any kind. So he's sort of playing the game with you no matter what. On the tennis part, let's have a table ten, game of table tennis, Tom. Let's go. You know, anything like Wilsey just said... It's on, like, and, and the same, same thing with any very competitive person will want to compete with you at anything, even walking through the doorway, you know? So, uh, you know, so for Kelly, that was what life was like. And uh, back then, in the early 90s, when I was competing against him, he was tricky the whole time. Yeah. Give us a look at your surfboard, Tom. Oh, maybe that... Curve at the entry's not, you know. So uh, he, yeah, he was. Doing I don't know it. the way that you were riding that border, Tom. It was always trying to get under me with the, you know. He, the he board. was goat fucking you. That's what he was doing. Goat fucking you. Yeah, yeah. He you. was. KP. Mate. You've got to have one. You've, you've got to have a Kelly story for us. Come on, man. 
I mean, you, you've been on both sides of the coin with him too. You've had to compete against him and then had to manage him, sort of like trying to mind control you to do things for heats and call comps on and call them off. Have you got a, have you got a heat that stands out in your memory as one that's sort of like, you just went, fuck. Just, just the one heat that I beat him out of all the times. The only fucking one. <laughs> That's, that's like these guys, he would, he would get in your head and you lo I lost to him so many times. What was the one you beat him? In France, in a three-manner. <laughs> <laughs> but it was still a win in my mind. No one can I take still, that away I still got him, I'll hold on to that. Um, he, yeah, he's incredible at that, amazing. I mean, not only is he an incredible athlete, but he does get into your head you make mistakes that you wouldn't normally otherwise make and i made plenty of them and and then i got him once so i'll just be like yep got ya. you you know thanks the, for that you know the kieran I, that the thing with kelly it sounds like i'm being really sort of like like raw and stuff that's that's who i am but for kelly he's super refined and it's super subtle that's why he just forces everyone to do mistakes that they never would normally yeah just to go back, to, I wanted to go back to 98, uh, Wilsey, like, <laughs> I, I'm interested to know, like... Mate, you got one more question. <laughs> I fucking had enough of 98. <laughs> well, no, I actually wanted to, to go with the positive spin on it, like, just from 97 to 98, when you got on the hot streak, you know, what, what changed for you? What twigged in your mind in your surfing that led to such a, a string of great performances after such a string of terrible performances? Oh, mate, ultimately you've got to back yourself. And that's all it is. You've got to believe in yourself and you've got to believe that you've got what it takes to, to, to be there. And if you don't, well, you know, get out of there. So, yeah. It's, That's all I did. It's so crazy that one heat can change that. You can spend yeah. fucking 10 events doing terribly and literally one heat mm. versus Victor Rebass when he gets a 1.2 need yeah. a 1.5 just triggers a 98 yeah, world yeah, title yeah. onslaught. I know. It's funny. I had a few like free surfs. I think I was surfing at um, God, Pro Grandi or something anyway. <laughs> Prove it. Uh, Prove uh, it, spit the winkle. Uh, and I was surfing with Taylor Knox and you know I think I was having a bit of a bit of a moment with Taylor where I was like, ah fucking don't think I'm good enough. And he looked at me and he said, mate, you're more than good enough to be on this tour. You just gotta believe in yourself and just go out and attack. And that's just what I did. So I took that into that event and you know, so at the end of the day, I guess. Taylor's got a lot to, uh, to do with that. Yeah. Well said, yeah. well said. Tommy, I want to know from you, mate, like, was there any hot streaks in your career that you can, that you can remember? Uh, yeah, I, I trained really hard for the, my world title um, in 83, 84, my first world title. And I, you know, I just really didn't, like Willsey, I, I really didn't think, like, I, it took me a while to believe that I could do do this, you know, and and it wasn't like I was like, I'm going to be a world champion, um, but I incrementally sort of started doing things that I didn't really want to do. I had to train in little waves, 
because that's what the events, the last four events of the tour of that year were on really tiny ways in Florida, uh, you know, potentially, which it turned out to be up at the Stubbies event at, at Cronulla um, and then down at Bell's. Um, and it was tiny in, in Florida and I had to, you know, pull my finger out and actually learn how to surf small waves as good as guys like Tom Curran, who was killing it in tiny waves. He struggled in anything over sort of six feet, but, and that was to come, he was gonna get better that way, but he really didn't, I felt like I had a lot of strength and bigger surf, more powerful surf. But I had to train hard, and when that work of a couple of months, you know, doing six hours of training, like surfing, and one or two hours, depending on what I was doing, training for five days a week, and then having fun on a weekend, just treating it like a job. I started doing that, and that started to focus me in ways that Wilsey is talking about. But it was actually certain people, like Taylor Knox, there was other people in my, in my world, saying things at the specific time that really counted to me that sort of boosted me, my actually inner belief, because I really didn't know. And then I started to win back-to-back -back, uh, events towards the end of the year. All this work started to pay off. When work, because I didn't know this work was going to pay off, I was just, you know, it's like a leap of faith, getting up early in the morning, training, doing six hours in the water, at the worst surf breaks I could ever surf. Like, and in fact, it actually started to inform my bigger way of surfing, which fed everything. But at first it was really just tedious. My watch, the time would go backwards. It was brutal, but it was just disciplining myself in that, car, in that sort of style of surfing. And then I ended up winning uh, three events uh, back to back. And then I got Shane Horan broke my winning streak in the final of Bells in the fourth event. So that was a very big winning streak for me. We talked about 98. We've, we, all you guys have had near misses that are... Fuck, man, a fairly brutal, like borderline career enders. Your, 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 uh, what was it, 88? Uh, 88 Ten years line. earlier, 88 yeah. Pipeline Masters. But it was actually the Billabong, Billabong Pro, Pro. That's right. And it was, it was, it was inside. It was inside January because they had to um, extend the waiting period because it was such a bad winter. Yeah. And uh, and this pipeline day just turned up real good. But this is 88. You're at your absolute peak. Of your yeah. powers, and yeah. everyone was just expecting you to win this. Yeah, and uh, a paddling interference cost you, but the devastation of uh, of losing that one really hit home hard, hey? Yeah. See, I've done I've done three years of really hard work to kind of get to that point, because you got a, like a campaign to go for world title, and really as a past world champion, you kind of know what you got to do, but you got to reinvent it. And so it took me three years to get back into that position. And I had two heats away from winning it. And I wasn't handling it that well, nerves-wise. Just wasn't dealing with it uh, that well that day. Pipeline was on. Uh, and the technicality that I lost on was if you turned back then, if you just turned to the wave and just take one hand off the rail to look, 
and the other surfer had priority and you had second priority and they went on that wave, you get called an interference. And I was nowhere near him. I was just, he went over back behind me on a closeout, eight, ten foot set at Pipeline. Classic, Todd Holland was just on a mission and he didn't care uh, what the hell was going to happen with him on that wave. I was just looking at all my options because I just wanted to get through that heat. Uh, uh, you know, I just, I, I didn't, I wasn't getting the scores. I didn't know where I was at. So, but I didn't know I was actually that far in the lead that I even with, with that high score taken off, I got a, a one judge having me win the heat. So six hours later, they change the rule. So... And uh, so they just abolished the whole rule. So it was, a, it was a tricky rule. You could be on a wave at the other end of the beach and on the same swell. And if that guy had priority, if the person who had priority was paddling for that swell, the judges said, you went for, just left your hand on the rail like that, mm. just one little paddle, you get interference. So it was very skewed towards the judges to relax them and they could just willy-nilly do this. But one thing, what happened with that was that the, ref the rule was refined, you know, so it discarded the irrelevancy of the rule, which is, you know, I took the fall for that, which is, gr is good in the end, which yeah. is cool. Yeah. But, yeah. But that, that effectively ended your, ended your quest for a world title, right? You just started focusing on pipeline after that. Yeah, I started focusing on pipeline and, and the ones I liked winning, which was Margaret River. And, and, and pipeline. Yeah. And I, and I just, in the back of my mind, fully just forgot about the world title. I just, and I didn't really truly trust putting myself out there that hard mm. with the sport in that condition. No. But then you went on the hot streak at pipe. Then yeah. you won 90, yeah. 91 in the best surf yeah. ever seen. One of the, uh, yeah. The fucking head noise terminator pulled that fucking thing off. But KP, before we get to that, you had a similar thing go down, mate. You, you were winning the Pipe Masters CT in the bag, 30 seconds to go. This is the most heartbreaking loss I've ever watched play out in real life, I reckon. After years of, you know, being your mate, knowing each other since we were kids. Fucked up Manly Grand Final in 97 months. That was fucked! We got ripped off the prison. Anyway... Mate, some footy players can't watch grand finals that they've lost. Have you ever watched that heat? No, I have not. <laughs> um, I've thought about it, but no, I haven't watched it. So take us through it. Take us through your, your mindset in that heat. I, I don't know if you've thought about it. I don't know if you've pushed it deep and it just triggers PTSD and you're going to have a fucking fit on the ground, but... No, I'm good with it now. Yeah. I'm, I'm you ha you haven't watched it, but let's just revisit that bit by bit right now. Yeah, if we can. yeah I've, oh, that's all right. I'm all good now with it. I, KP, uh, just describe I the just... day though, mate, because like this was the day you were born to have, a Pipe Masters <laughs> final, Jeremy Flores. Take us through it. Well, funnily enough, the Arvo before, I nearly got fucking disqualified from the comp. I bl my brother was there, for, Jamie, my youngest brother, and he was my caddy, and I broke a board on a r r shitty little backdoor wave, and he was on the beach with my other board, and there was kind of vague rules around caddying. There's a funny story, he's gonna love it, but 
vague rules around caddying. He's standing on the beach with my board and I'm waving to him from the lineup like, mate, I need my board, get out here. And there was, he, was, he was like, I don't know what to do. He's in his clothes, he's got no boardies on. The guy next to him looks him in and goes, mate, get the fuck out there. So he pulls, pulls his wallet out, drops it on the sand and paddles my spare board out. Little to be known, I paddled over to him, grabbed the board. Anyway, made the heat, luckily. I think it was against Dusty Payne. And found out that there was a protest that I'd done the wrong thing. Didn't know the rules. And had a caddy come into the water I wasn't allowed. And fin- luckily enough, somehow escaped that, being disqualified. Made it to finals day, which was four to six foot, kind of perfect waves at backdoor. Um, everything I could have dreamed of, pretty much, in surfing. Like, this is, this is it. This is the best conditions I'm going to get. Let's go for it. And, uh, yeah, just you get in this space where you feel like everything's coming to you and you're all good and you lose focus. And that's pretty much what I did. I just fucked it. I lost total focus. I got carried away with like two and a half minutes to go and thought I'd won the bloody contest. I mean, it happens to everyone. And, uh, yeah, I knew it. As soon as I took that wave, I, uh, yes. Cheers. KP, did you know there was another wave coming behind it? Cheerio, rabbit. I didn't know, but underwater when I pulled into that shitty wave that I took with priority and Jeremy wasn't even in the lineup and I didn't need to take that one. Yeah, when I pulled into that and I fell off underwater, I was like, there's another one behind this. I know it. And so I barely, I didn't really need to know, but I came up and watched him get drained and that was it. I knew at that point. Mate. There was no coming back. what I'm curious to know is the moments after the Hooter goes. Everyone's focused on the winner. You have to go up, you've got to stand on the podium, you've got to lift your trophy after the worst mistake you've ever made in your career. It's fair to say. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll like, own it, what, don't worry. What, what, what do you do when you, when you walk off the podium? What happens then? What's going through your mind? Are you just I was lucky for my wife, on? I must say. She was there and, yeah, it was pretty shit. <laughs> it was very bad period of time you know what the best thing that i did was um we had this trip planned it was like a holiday trip to new york i went away i just left hawaii we went there for two weeks had family come in first time i'd been in the snow was epic we had a really cool two weeks and i just that kind of let me get past it and then go to a couple of art galleries did you kp (laughs) I i did (laughs) <laughs> and then mate this is the thing I find remarkable about losing that final is that you get your second bite of the cherry the very next year like was anyone going to stop you did you know from the first heat that you were going to fucking win that thing or what no fucking no way <laughs> I, was, I was struggling to stay on tour at that point I needed to make the quarters just to stay on tour and to, to do that if I made the quarters I, I knocked out Kai Otten, my best mate at the time, travelling on tour forever. And I knew that if I did that, he left Hawaii the day before finals day, knowing that if I made my heat, I was going to kick him off tour. And we had dinner together, he came over to my joint. I had no idea what was going to happen, but I just kind of, I don't know, I had this sort of uh, calm. I felt pretty relaxed about it. But my first heat in that event, I was almost done. It was the overlapping format and the waves were huge and it was just all over the place. Um, yeah, 
But it just kind of worked out. Every heat just felt like you, you build your confidence. And, uh, yeah, and then the final was, was pretty intense. Yeah. Let's... The final was all time, man, because, fuck, everyone had felt, especially this region, this region was riding that year before. Everyone felt the fucking heartache for you. And then when you won the Pipeline Masters, you fucking... Mate, it's the best photo. Like, your reaction is just... It's not that fucking fist-clenching euphoria. It's just like... It's relief? Like, yeah, it's like it's, it's a mix of relief and just complete openness. It reminds me of the difference between Mick Fanning when he won that, uh, won that world title on the buzzer and he comes out and he's just fucking claiming it. And then a few years later, he beats John, John and Kelly after his brother had died and he's, he's just, you know, soaking in the universe. Did it, did it feel like that? Were you tapping into the crystal energy of Byron Bay after that win, mate? Mate, I... To be honest, and Willsey will say the same, this town's given me everything and um, always supported me. I wouldn't be here without them. So to all the legends, thanks for everything. Mate. Yeah, so that was it. You know, it felt like I got a fucking boost from the gods. I got a good, a good, good bit of luck and it uh, probably came from a lot of people in here and my family and everyone else that was there and it worked out in the end and... I couldn't be happier. Fucking earth. Fucking earth. Up the KP. Up the swelling. Mate, from uh, behind the rock at the pass to Shipstern's Bluff in 2001. Talk us through it, mate. Take us through that trip. Shippies. Holy yeah. shit. That was fun. From start to finish. Uh, give us every stinking detail because it was fucked up. It was well, history making. I didn't even... I did not know the wave at all. Rasta had showed me some footage of a wave down there and um, wouldn't tell me where it was. And got me all intrigued. It looked amazing. And then um, tracks, tracks guys, boys rang me up. Said, "Do you want to go down there? We're uh, we're going to send send you with Davy, Sean Davy. Who else do you want to take?" No one was interested. No one wanted to go. I was in the car park in West Oz at the QS, and I was dragging. I was trawling the car park, basically asking people to come on this trip to Tassie to a wave that no one had heard about. And uh, Chalk, good on him, because he was the first person to sign up. I knew he would, but he was frothing. And um, Kobe, Abaddon was in the mix. He couldn't make it for some reason. And then so Drew Courtney put his hand up, and that's how it happened. It was, uh, it was just luck. I mean, we all fucking lucked into it, really. And, mate, like, had you been down there before? Who, who met you? At the, was it Andy Campbell walked in? It was yeah. obviously walking in back then, or? We walked in, yeah, Andy Campbell and uh, Did local. Did you know what you were in for at all? Nah, no idea. We, uh, I'd seen some footage of it, but from the front, it didn't look like, didn't look like what it is. And, uh, yeah, and this local dude called Milo, this local, this local guy, he was our guide. He, he, he doesn't surf, so he just knew the track. He knew how to get there. So he's like, I'll take you. And Andy, Andy was there, and um, yeah, we walked it in. I carried three boards and walked in. It was, yeah. And, like, when you get to the top of the cliff and you look down on it for the first time, what was your brain doing then? Were you going, oh, it's six foot, or is it... It would look like six foot. Yeah. It did not look like much at all. I left my big board, actually, my biggest board, I left it in the bush halfway because I was like, it's, uh, it's fuck, it's six foot. <laughs> it's nothing. 
And so we left that and we got down there and this swell was just getting bigger and bigger and by the time we got on the rocks it was ridiculous. Yeah. And and give us like a bit of an insight into the conversations the three or four of you are having as you as you're on the rocks sort of putting wetties on. Are you like Alan? Is that six foot or is that actually fucking unrideable? It looked it looked unrideable, I will say. It didn't look very fun. <laughs> but, but we were pretty pumped. I mean everyone you get the adrenaline of that that joint is incredible. It's so beautiful. The wave was insane. I love waves like that. So we were, uh, we were out there. We, we just <laughs> mad-dogged it. I didn't know what we were thinking. Fuck, the craziest thing about it, I remember obviously when the Trucks magazine came out and staring at the cover and the spread, it was just so much bigger and more mutant than anything that had ever happened in surfing up until that point. Talk us through warming up to taking a set there, like not knowing really what the wave was going to do, the step, like it was such an unknown. How did you get psyched in fucking turn and go on? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, actually. We paddled around the back of the wave, so that was probably a good thing because we didn't really get to see it. We kind of fucking jumped off the ledge and then we were in the lineup before we even knew what we were doing. We had really no idea. And then these waves just started... But hang on, is it true that you nearly knocked yourself out jumping off the rocks? I, yeah, I did. I timed the jump off pretty shit. You've got to run across a ledge that's about 20 metres wide. And it basically is open ocean, just slamming into a, a rock wall. And, um, yeah, I timed it really shit. <laughs> Jumped off the back into a, into a wave as it hit the wall. And my board got ripped out of my arm. My back, back, head um, butted the wall behind me. I was bleeding. I was bleeding before I even got in the lineup. And, Hang on, uh, you head butted your board and got back slammed onto the cliff. No, the board, my board got ripped out of my arms and um, the back of my head hit the cliff behind me. Like, I jumped in this ledge and it'd be on kook slams for sure if it was today. And just, yeah, don't know. It was an idiotic move. But um, got into the lineup and uh, the swell was building, so that kind of helped us. I think we started off at like 10 foot and then it kind of just kept, every set felt like it was getting bigger and bigger. Who got the first wave? Who's, who did you rock off for the first wave? Or I, I don't, I don't know. Oh, yeah, Woody did. I'm here. <laughs> James Woods, everybody. I am still here. Now, did you get the first wave? Did you get the first wave? Or I, I've no idea, but I'm going to claim I got the first one. I don't, I don't know. Talk us through one of your mental ones out there. What you remember of it? All I remember is this paddling into these things that looked looked insane like you don't know what's behind you so you're just going and it looks like a normal wave that you'd get anywhere else Hawaii normal reef break and you fuck you get to your feet and the thing just starts drawing so much water off it's like a stationary wave but at like 15 foot it feels like it's dragging so much water off the reef and then all of a sudden you just you're in the air kind of going over a step and yeah I did a couple of weird landings and I was all over the place but um yeah, it's, it was, we kind of adapted with it, I guess. It was strange, strange to say that, but you, yeah, you pay the price. And then I broke a board, it got washed, I got washed into the rocks and then um, ended up, luckily, that I got on my 610, which was my shortest one I took. And that was a blessing in disguise. You need short boards, you don't want to, I had a 75 and that was just stupid. <laughs> That one sequence is so wild where you're kind of side-slipping like this weird airdrop fucking off the step uh, and then somehow still make it into that big conical section. But, uh, I mean, what is it, what's going through your mind when you're inside one of those things? Are you just going, oh, my fucking God, I'm dead? 
I was pretty pumped. I love that feeling. Like, that's, that's it for me. I mean, I got probably still to this day the biggest barrel I've ever stood inside was, was that day. And um, it was, yeah. I don't know. It's hard to say. <laughs> It's, it's so fucked up because it still stands up today. It stands up to any wave that's been paddled there ever. And that was pretty much, you know, the first crack at it, which is just fucking so mind-blowing. Yeah. I was going to say, Tom, Willsey, do you remember seeing that tracks mag when it came out of, of KP flying off the step? Because it, yeah. it was the birth of fucking... They, they were core lord surfing slabs forever, but that was the birth of slab surfing as, a, as an actual movement. Yeah, it's like, for me, it was like it was this Grom doing it, you know? I was like going, how's this guy? <laughs> Just getting launched. But uh, that, that's one of the nastiest waves I've ever seen. Just the rawness of that wave. And, like, you've got to actually really pay to play. You can't chipstones bluff. Just to get to know it, you've got to go down, go down just to relax on the big one, to actually feel it out and get through it. And they lay the rail in the right spot. You got to go down on a few waves just to break the ice with yourself. Is that right, KP? Yeah, it's not even really a good wave. I mean, it, it's it, fucking. It's a horrible wave. It's, it's horrible. It is. It's ridiculous. And if the one, the one that hits the reef at the right spot and the ledge is in the good spot, it's incredible. But most of the time, it's dead set a drain pipe to death. So you, you've just got to accept that and uh, roll the dice. That's kind of what it feels like. You don't know when you're taking off. Like, there was ways we, were, we had no idea, but I was young and dumb and had a good time. Yeah, right. That's interesting. I haven't heard it put that way. So when you're sitting out there, there's so many waves that just don't hit the ledge right. Like, it's just fucking, like, it's really hard to read it. You just basically, yeah, it's a, it's a lottery. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it was a long time ago, so... Um, trying to forget that because I'm supposed to go back. I'm trying to like re- remember that it's going to be more like the pass and not like Chip Stearns. Are, are you in the Red Bull comp? Yes. Wow. Yes. Wow, that's going to be sick. How are you feeling about that? Really, Kate, but you're in the Red Bull yeah. event, are you? Yeah, by default, I think, because no one can fly in from overseas, right. so I got lucky. <laughs> Fuck, mate. We'll be with you. We'll be with you, KP. That's, that's we'll huge watching, news. Yeah. Stoked. Willsey, uh, when, you, when you saw KP coming through as a grommet and starting to make a name for himself, did you know that he had it in him to be a pipe master, to be a fucking lunatic throwing him off the ledge of these steps? Oh, absolutely. You know, it's like a, a little switch in KP that's just a little bit different, everybody. So, yeah, he's just got this something in him that just... Uh, he's got the mongrel in him. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, you know, he'll paddle into something with a smile on his face and, you know, it's a dead set 10-foot closeout and he'll just be happy about it. So, yeah, there's something wrong with him a little bit, I think. <laughs> I can't wait to see him at Chippies. It's funny you say that, Willsey, because I've actually got a couple quotes here about Kieran. Uh, this one's from the 27-time Gold Cone Piece Award-winning surf journalist, Matt Griggs, and he says... Uh, Kieran is not a delicate genius when he surfs big waves. He's absolutely and insanely stupid. <laughs> uh, I've also got one here from Kobe Abaddon. Uh, he says, he's fucking mad. I've seen him do the craziest shit. 
Now, I'm no psychologist, but uh, if Kobe Abenin is calling you mad, you've got fucking problems, mate. <laughs> uh, a delicate genius. Uh, yeah, definitely. But you guys were also on, on the tour at a time when, uh, you know, this was an age of maniacs, a madman. It was, uh, you know, the tour was no longer world tour surfers on the beans and brown rice diet, sleeping in contest scaffoldings. There was corporate backing, and with that corporate backing and that counterculture culture came this kind of uh, blizzard of cocaine and degeneracy. I wanted to know, like, who's the biggest maniac that uh, you travelled with, or... Who was the biggest maniac on tour during your time? I, I, I can say who that is. Beep. Is that the bit that you blur it out or? We can blur it if you want. Ross was pretty good. Best Ross Clark Jones story? Yes, TC. He's a good mate. He's pretty good though. He's pretty good. He was really good at it. That. Wilsey, who was the maddest of the mad men when you were on tour? Wow, well, there was plenty of mad men when I was on. It was the Phantom. <laughs> oh, mate, there was heaps. There was, there was plenty. Oh, I mean, Horio was, you know, Horio was pretty, pretty good, pretty loose. There was, pl- oh, there was plenty. I was on the back end of that, so, you know, yeah. I was looking at those guys, yeah, yeah. I don't really want to go down that road. So, anyway. You don't want to name names, do you? We can always bleep them out. You can bleep them out, but you can name them for the Swellians. I guess we just want to know, like, party shenanigans are uh, always classic, and I know that the World Tour of Surfing was the fucking hub of party shenanigans. Yeah, I, I, it was pretty much it. I think it was everyone on the top 44, just about, wasn't it? There for a while, everyone was having a good crack. All the, all the QS guys blamed the 44. I was 500, so I didn't see any of it. So, God, I, I don't know. Right, hey guys. <laughs> Wilsey, how are you going? I'm good, mate. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Can't believe it. I didn't how expect good? this. No, 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 it's a nice surprise. I reckon it's time to get our last guest up, and then we're going to. Uh, all chip in and hear some epic surf stories. Let's bring up the legend of legends, the all-time great. Rocky! Come on, Rocky! Rocky, welcome to Ain't That Swell, mate. It's an absolute privilege and an honour to have you here, brother. Cool. Yeah, cool. Mate. It's a crazy setup here. It's great. <laughs> Fuck, I'm glad you're impressed. That means a lot to me, mate. You're a fucking icon, especially uh, for people from my part of the world. Bondi Beach, world famous. Oh, I love Bondi. Scum yeah. Valley's finest himself, mate. You are. Uh, you ticked every box for a guy from the eastern suburbs. Uh, you know, you packed down alongside Max Krilich in the eastern suburbs, oh, Jersey yeah. Fleg team. Yeah, I played against him in Jersey Fleg. Play, played against him. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, sorry. Yeah, played against the Jersey flag. And then uh, you went travelling the world, mate. I mean, you come up here first, but then you went travelling the world. Kauai, uh, New Zealand, uh, fucking where else? Santa Barbara. <laughs> you sailed a boat through Tahiti to Australia. Yeah, yeah, cool. Incredible That's right. life, man. Yeah, yeah. Incredible. Yeah. But uh, take us back to uh, Bondi Beach, man. Um, you know, where you grew up. Talk to us about your folks, how you ended up in that part of the world. Yeah, well, Bondi, I was just there from go. I was born at Bondi. Uh, great place to grow up in those days. It wasn't as it is now, real yuppie. It was a hard, hard kind of place to grow up in. Uh, you had to be pretty streetwise. And, uh, and lucky the surf was there down the, down the beach because uh, otherwise I think anything could have happened to me. But the surf was your salvator. Unreal, man. Yeah. And your old man, I understand, he was like a pillar of the community back there. Yeah, he was, he was kind of, our place was where everyone left their boards. It was, well, I was kind of from a broken family and he was like the dad for heaps of other kids that didn't have their dads. One, one being Kevin Brennan. Yeah, Kev you know, the Head Kevin Brennan. Kevin the Head, yeah. Growing up in Bond, I don't know if yeah, I was just saying, I, I don't know if everyone here would understand the legacy of Kevin Brennan, but growing up in the suburb, he's the guy whose story you grow up on, you know, he's a mythological figure. Um, yeah. He was like Kobe Abaddon 30 years before Kobe Abaddon yeah. existed, you know, the original street urchin, hustler, battler. Yeah. Um, yeah, talk to us a bit about Kevin, because you yeah, knew he him was, very well. He was kind of, I kind of look at him as really the James Dean of Australian surfing, Kevin. He was uh, there and then he was gone. You know, and he, he really left a mark of, with his surfing. Like the day that he won the state title, he won the juniors and the seniors on the same day at Bondi, yeah. Yeah, that was pretty amazing. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, the head, fuck, man. And uh, I guess from Bondi, you end up uh, fleeing the city and you came up here in, in what was it, like the late 60s, yeah, well, early we, 60s? Yeah, no, early 60s. I'm still at school. Every holidays, we'd jump on the train from Central Railway and uh, come to Byron Bay for our school holidays, just a group of kids, and surf with the guys that used to live at Wadigos in the old houses at Wadigos, the Islanders, the Kivises. Yeah. Oh, the Islanders, right, like the... Um, yeah, Johnny Kivis and Leone and Jimmy Kivis. And Sputz, the young brother, he wasn't there then. Yeah. Wow. A lot of people in that spot too. Yeah. yeah. How different was the town back then? Oh, it was just fantastic then. It was really small. I actually got drunk in here, in this room, the first time <laughs> when I was about 14. <laughs> in this room. <laughs> hey. Yeah. Barocky, good to yeah, see Ronnie, you, mate. Thank you. Good to see you, mate. Hey, everyone. If we can just shut the fuck up while Chris Brock is on the stage, that'd be real great. This guy's a fucking legend. So is everyone. No banter. The only person who should be talking is this legend in the middle. No pressure, mate. Yeah. <laughs> I just go with the flow of things, you know. That's all you can do in life. <laughs> Where were we? Yeah, water goes uh, yeah, like, early 60s. Yeah, like we just lob at the pass. There was a little old house there. I don't know if you guys remember that. When you, you, you remember the little house there? And an old guy used to live in there. We'd leave our money with him and he'd have goats that came down from the hill and, he, he, uh, <laughs> yeah. and he'd milk the goats, you know. Were they, were they buy goats? 
yeah. <laughs> they're not there anymore, right? On the hill, they're gone. The goats. Yeah, they're gone. They're long gone. <laughs> There's one left. <laughs> yeah, in the name of Kieran. Yeah. Yeah, so that was, you know, I'm, I feel so lucky being of my age and seeing all the places like that. When I, when I did leave school, I hopped on the train and come up here and lived, that was in 1968. And we had a little bit of trouble with police. They kept coming and hassling us. And some guys got thrown in jail for smoking pot. And nah, those fucking so that, dogs. So, you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, so we, uh, we took off down the south coast for the summer. And then when I come back up, we, that's when we went to Angari. And Angari was just bullshit in those days. You drove in through that long straight and it was just a tunnel of trees that you drove through. And uh, they eventually ripped down one side to put electricity on it, Angari. And uh, that was gone. And then they mined the back beach. I don't know, I guess a lot of people have been to Angari, but that used to be the same height at the car park across to that, the hill on the back beach. That was a little bit undulated, but the same height. They just scalloped all that out. And then it kind of got a bit cold in, in Southerlies and that, and you used to get a bit of wind, uh, sand blowing the inside section. Just wasn't quite, that was kind of the end of a really neat era. You know, that was around about when the morning of the earth got made. Tell and us about the tree house you built, mate. Yeah, well, that, I built that when I, I had to move out of a house that I was living in, uh, and a guy come there to live from Kauai. He, didn't, he just come to stay and go surfing, Tommy Taylor, and he told me about his parents had this land on Kauai and they let people build tree houses on it. And I thought, fuck, what a good idea. I'll, and there was a lot of driftwood on the beach, and I built a tree house at the southern end of the back beach, just past the creek that comes out in the hills there. And... Uh, yeah, I lived there for quite a while. When I left, and Gary, I gave it to Baddy, and there's a, yeah, <laughs> I gave it to Baddy, and he, he kind of lived there after. I left and went to New Zealand. The place had changed a bit for me then. Yeah, how many people were there surfing, mate? You said it got oh, too crowded. In those days, not many people. But after Morning of the Earth, it started to get a bit you know, a few people were starting to come, yeah. Did, wasn't it seven? Seven or eight surfers? Oh, yeah, there was hardly anyone out. You get pissed off if one car pulled up. <laughs> <laughs> what, did it, what did it feel like to, uh, you know, flee the scum and stress of the city and, and just strike out on your own like that? And, you know, it was such a different lifestyle. It would have been such a raw existence in those days. Yeah, well, it was kind of the, the thing, you know, it was in the 60s, there was a lot of people going... I don't want to live like this and be regimented and be told what to do, what, you know, what, what, uh, what you should end up with in life and things like that. My dad once said to me, uh, I was hanging with Kevin a lot then, Kevin Brennan, he, he used to stay at our place a lot because he'd, he'd get bashed and that at his place a lot of times. And, he'd, uh, and we'd sit around talking and Kevin would say, I'd say, well, fuck, what are we going to do with our life? And he says, Kevin said, I reckon we do what we're best at. And all we can do is surf. So I guess we'll go surfing, you know. <laughs> and I told, I told my dad, you know, like, what do I do? And 
And my dad said to me, shit, I fucking worked all my life and I'm still at square one. He said, I, I really think it makes you wonder what life's about and I think life's about enjoying what you like doing. Cool. Yeah. And it looks like a lot of people here have those thoughts. Yeah, it's great to see that a different thought pattern for humans. Yeah. It's true, it's true. A lot of people do have those thoughts. The only difference is the only people living in tree houses around here these days are fucking ice heads, which is unfortunate. A <laughs> <laughs> tree house has sold for 2.8 million, mate. <laughs> oh, ta- Taylor Camp was awesome, man. Oh, yeah. Well, we get to tree houses. It was kind of a nudist colony, if you wish to. There were some filthy sheilas there, too. Uh, <laughs> wow. Volley, volleyball courts on the beach. You imagine Nude that? volleyball? Are you kidding me? <laughs> but speaking of uh, advice from your dad, Brocky. Yeah? My old man said to me once, hey, look, just don't let little treats become bad habits, all right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't pay one bit of attention to that. <laughs> Not a fucking word of it, mate. <laughs> yeah. All right. What about the what about the sailing trip with Greeno? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's the end. Tell, tell them the story about George and you sailing from. Yeah. From well, when I when I went to Kauai, uh, when I went to Kauai, I I had a couple of trips to the North Shore in the winters, you know. I wanted to experience the waves on the North Shore. I remember one day I was at Honolulu and it was really big pushing out of the north and flat. Looked like flat Angara, you know, South Swell Angara. And a guy said to me, this is when Lonnie Akea works. And I'd always wanted to surf Lonnie Akea and that was my first trip over. That's when I met Howard Owen and went with him. He, yeah, he, he met me at, at, at Cannons and he, he said, oh, I said, oh, I'm an Aussie. I've just come from New Zealand. He says, oh, do you know Chris Brock? And I said, yeah, that's me. (laughs) (laughs) And so I went to the North Shore with him and we lived at Rocky Point in a house and it was so good. I had two trips like that over there and then back to Kauai. And then then the second trip, I met a girl, she was riding the Nairmat at sunset and she was actually the girl that did the the, uh, artwork for the innermost limits of all the, the little elves walking through the mushrooms and stuff. And she said, <laughs> "Mad." <laughs> That's a great movie, The Innermost Limits. Fantastic. Yeah. And so she said she was going back to California. So I rang up George on the phone. She come from Santa Barbara, and I rang George up and told him the trip. And he said, "Yeah, come over." He said, "I got a boat. I'm going to sail back to Australia." And I went, "Oh, great," because I'd already. I'd been there for quite a few years, and I only had a three-month visa. And I, I had no money, but I had a return ticket. And I got onto the, uh, uh, to the immigration to see if I could cash my ticket in. And they sent me a letter and said, I said, I'm gonna leave on a sailboat. And I had no intention right then to leave on a sailboat. I just made up a story. And they sent me a letter back. Yeah, that's cool, you can cash your ticket in. So I had my money, that did me for another year or so, another 300 bucks. <laughs> and eventually, I did leave on a sailboat from Santa Barbara and then we sailed, we took a few years and we sailed back to Australia, living in Tahiti most of the time. Oh, that story's so incredible. It's, uh, I want to actually just dip first back into where you met Greeno and, and what your first impressions of him were. It was here. 
was here at Lennox. We were, we were, me and my friend, this is when I come up from Good in, in 1968, we got the train up, me and my friend, and we had a tent beside the surf club in the bushes and there was a really good ride out in front and we were just, oh, it was just heaven, you know, and then we met another, another guy from Bondi and a Kiwi guy and they were coming to, to Lennox to surf. They'd said, oh, we surfed Lennox yesterday and we come down and Bob was already a friend of mine through, he was in Wind and Sea Surf Club, McTavish. And George was there too. And uh, they said to me and Gary, do you want to move in with us at Waddy Goes? We've got a spare room. And so that's how that, that relationship started there with George. And what yeah. were your impressions of him? Because, I mean, he's such a, an oh, eccentric when genius. I, when I first, when George first come to Australia, there was an article done, done uh, about him in Surfing World magazine, Bob Evans magazine. And it had this picture of this guy walking up the beach with a big old T-shirt, sloppy, with all these holes in it. Looked like battery acid burns, you know, and fish scales, you know. And I thought, fuck, what a good... I'd really love to meet that guy. He looks like a real character, you know. And that thought was always on my head, you know. But George, by that time, he had a bit of a name for him riding his spoon. Yeah, and that, that's what... Uh, he was just amazing then. It, uh, actually... The first day, he was putting the cameras on his back to fill them inside the tubes. And he took off his, his shirt to put his wetty on. And we seen this big scar down there. And, and I said, fuck, what happened to you, mate? And he said, oh, I had a heart operation when I was 10. And I got two ribs missing. That's how come George walks a little bit funny. Because he had this heart, heart kind of... Uh, he said... It's like the old snorkel with the ping pong ball in it. And he had it x-rayed about 20 years ago. And he said to me, I've got to carry a card now. And I said, oh, fuck, what's wrong? And he said, it's so strong, I'm going to donate it to them so they can study it when I die. You know, so that, I reckon it's done something to him to keep him going, you know. Because he's nearly 80 and still going. What a fucking legend. Yeah. Mate. There's that great story about... You know, because he had the huge cameras... Yeah. ..and filming in these huge tubes and getting the shots what it took to get now with the GoPro. And this is like in the 60s. Amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, that... Especially somebody with those, you know, disabilities well, like that he had. That was my question. Do you think having that setback early on in life, from that point on, is just like, fuck it, I'm going to live. I'm, yeah. I could go any day yeah. now. I'm yeah. just going to live. I'm going to do everything yeah. that I wanted to do in life. And that's what he did. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And he's still doing it, you know. Fucking up the yeah, green, like, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, oh. we're not... <laughs> There's such a good story about Greeno getting hired on Big Wednesday to shoot the water yeah, yeah, footage. Oh, yeah. You know what he did there? They, they give him a... Because he had to shoot 35 mil. And they've given him the camera and he's gone, fuck, it's too fucking big. So he took all the in, he made a fiberglass case to fit all the inners and took it out and put it in his own case. So he had a smaller camera. Yeah, he dismantled it in front of the producers who just spent fucking more money on a camera than they ever spent. He went, it's fucking too big and just started pulling it apart from there, just going, holy fuck, what's this cunt doing? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. But yeah. he got it working. Yeah, correct, yeah. I, I remember that, that picture that they cut to the guy's ride. Uh, I made him this little uh, handboard, you know, that he could put the camera on and we screwed the colour of the guy's board, the nose of the board on the front 
and he actually filmed that inside Clark's. And it's cut to a 10-foot wave in that movie. Wait, wait. Inside Clark's inside Clark's is in Big Wednesday. Yeah. It was Whoa. just... Fuck you, Byron Bay! <laughs> wow. But, it, but it's cut to this 10-foot wave and it fits. Yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. Mate, I yeah. can't wait to watch that again. Yeah. <laughs> 60,000 <000 song>. times. <laughs> and now fast-forwarding back to uh, that incredible voyage you two shared together from Santa Barbara all the way to Australia mm. uh, with a quick pit stop in Tahiti for a few years. Um, I mean, talk us through it. And, like, that must have been such a leap of faith, you know, yeah, especially well, at that time. To yeah, do yeah well, I can't, you know, people said, oh, how can you cross an ocean? But I felt so safe with George. You know, because he's, he's really careful. Like, sometimes it'd shit you, you know. But then, you know, like, as, as I told Woody before, fuck, I should have been, you know, I should have been uh, keel-hauled, some of the things that I've said to him. But, uh, yeah, like, he made, he made uh, learn how to make uh, energy from, from magnets and copper wire. We used to have a, uh, a propeller that we threw off the back that would charge all our batteries up on the boat, just the copper wire and the magnets going around. And then when we were in, in anchor, we'd hoist one up in between the, the front stay and the back stay and we'd, we'd haul it up and it had a, a big uh, blades on it and turn around. And he actually made the blades out of a street sign so they reflected in the night. You know, you put a light on it and it used to just glow in the night as it went around. <laughs> <laughs> It was amazing, and it, we, he, made a, he made a self-steering gear for the boat. He cast all the gears for it in, a, in this little pit at his home. I think if you've seen Crystal Voyager, yeah. he melts all his, all his uh, lead for the keel in the, he, he, because they had gas lines to the house, to his house, and he just run a, a hose off the gas lines into this pit and he melted all his, all his metal in there, yeah, like that. Pretty amazing. Fuck, that's incredible. Yeah. That's so sick, Brocky. Oh, man. And uh, that, that trip, man, like, what are your memories of it? Where did you score waves? Where did you stop? Yeah, well, we just went, we knew about this island in, in Tahiti, out near Bora Bora, called And we, uh, that's where we were heading for. Oh, the Tahitians were beautiful. Fantastic, yeah. I got, we got on really good, yeah. But I, I had a... When I travelled, I first went to New Zealand and I lived with the Maori families there. And so that really got me into the Polynesian way of thought. You know, so... There's yeah, a couple so, of Maoris back home too, wasn't there? I thought fucking half of Auckland was living in Bondi when I was growing yeah. up. <laughs> yeah. Well, they said Bondi was the closest doll office to Auckland, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well played. <laughs> But yeah, back to that trip, man. Uh, Tahiti, what, like, what was the story there? I understand that you guys sailed there, but then uh, George had to go home for some reason. And you yeah, George got sick. He, he trod on a stonefish and he, got, and he got dangy fever at the same time. And he just went to skin and he had to go home for a while and just left me with the boat. On, I, I didn't get to sail it. We put it in a little bay. And uh, I just surfed the whole time. Yeah. I was going to say... There's a lot of surfing by yourself, which it's not all that enjoyable. It's creepy, especially like that place, the right, the far right, it gets... Yeah, and it's so thick, you know, there's no back on the wave. 
the, the, the back of the wave's so thick. I was thinking about, no, the left. I surfed the left. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I never got to surf the right. Yeah, the right. The right's just perfect. When Every I was, wave. I went there many years later when the, the, when the locals had sort of gotten heavy. Oh, you I know? heard that, yeah. And I they'd gotten that. pretty weird. Yeah, yeah, They yeah. didn't like anyone coming. Yeah, so yeah. I was, yeah. Yeah, but, that's why when I say I don't know if I'll go back because I've yeah. said yeah, out of the place. <laughs> Beautiful place, sir. Yeah. And, and just to put this in perspective, you know, you're surfing these Tahitian slabs on single fins with no leg rope. Oh, yeah. On no, your own. No, actually, we did have leggies there. I found a leggy on, uh, on the beach at Rincon, just an hockey cord, and I took that with me. I made a little thing on, the, you know, a little bridge on the, on the board and took the leg rope. I remember I had a... We used to use... A, the inner tube from a bike, and it'd go up your leg. And then when you wanted to get rid of your board, because sometimes you get dragged over the roof, you just straighten your foot and it'd come straight off. But, yeah, <laughs> they, they were like the leg ropes we used. But, but the first time I seen a leg rope was when I went to New Zealand. That was the first leg rope I ever seen. And then I seen where, Reno where was that? In, in New Zealand. In New Zealand. Yeah, the guy had a big thick rope like this through his fin, you know, with a knot on it. Yeah. But then first time I seen one in the water was Reno and on the North Shore had a leg rope. Yeah. Which year was that? That would have been about 74. Right, yeah. When I was on the North Shore, 74, 75, around I remember then. when I first got a leg rope, it was around then. Yep. 74. Yeah. And, and I remember the guys at the local beach who were really hardcore said, oh, you know... You're not, yeah, that's cheating. Yeah. You know, I went, I'm going to surf off the rocks at the yeah, north yeah. end, you know. You don't want to be fixing things that yeah, night. And then, then you end up catching more waves and they're all losing their boards on the beach and just going, Pff. it's like that advancement, you know. Yeah. Huge advancement yeah. in surfing. <laughs> was the leg I rope. seen there's, there's a real old picture of Gordon with a leg rope on at surfing. Yeah, I can see it dangling from behind. A really old picture. Wow. He was probably one of the first Australians, maybe, to use leg ropes. I don't know. I would have been away then, but that's Gordon Merchant. Yeah, that was well. That's that was a big advancement in surfing, wasn't it, yeah. for us? And a bit of a no-no for some people. That mm. sort of leg rope was a big change. Yeah, yeah. It was like pushback. Yeah. Right. The local beach. Oh, you got a leg rope. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's that's right. That's, that's what right. It was, yeah. it's true. Similar thing happened with big waves and jet skis. Everyone was just like, nah, fucking, if you can't paddle, don't do it. If you're not going to swim to the beach after you fall off, yeah. don't fucking paddle yeah. out. Uh, my first leggy I bought off Bilesy for 20 bucks, it was. Had a. Uh, Stolen? Well, it, was, it had been snapped, but it was melded back together with a lighter. Bilesy's just a beauty. Still got it. Still got him. You still got it. Oh, he's beautiful, isn't he? <laughs> I love him. KP, Wilsey, I'd love to get your thoughts on Brocky. You know, it's such an incredible life. Uh, you know, what does he represent to you? I remember surfing Brocky's inside at Lennox. So, oh, look, you know, Brocky's an icon of, you know, northern New South Wales. He's lived at Lennox for a hell of a long time. Um, everybody loves him. Oh, that's Mate, lovely. hey. But I remember you as a You're not a bad for an old boy, eh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was funny when we were doing... When we rocked up... I can't remember what we were doing. 
some kind of filming or you know whatever and you know, we were hanging out at your house at, right at the end of the... Oh, yeah, that was... Yeah, no, the end that, of the all point the there. guys come that you know, time. It was yeah. good times, mate. That was, it was. Yeah, it was great times. I think Taj was there when he was young too. He was. Yeah. Taj was there. I, I was there. It was Brock's backyard. It was, it was Brock's backyard. story, Brock's backyard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, mate, still give me a whole heap of waves. Thanks, Brocky. Yeah. And Woody, what about you, man? I mean, you know, you've grown up in Lennox. We've got the Lennox crew here. How, much of, how important is Brocky to the fabric of the town and the surf community? Oh, huge. He kind of kicked it off, really. Um, he's kind of like, he just wanders the point. He's like Yoda. He just pops out of a tree or comes <laughs> That's out of the Owen, Owen calls me the gatekeeper. Yeah, he's the gatekeeper. <laughs> he just kind of, yeah, he shows everyone how to live life, really. I mean, he just sort of told everyone the stories of how he sort of done it, so... It's pretty, it's pretty straightforward. It's, yeah, if you could have as much fun as Brock, you'd be fucking ripping, I reckon. Cool. Yeah. All right. Brock, you've got to tell everyone how you made it, to, made it to the East Coast, mate. Let them know how you and George found the East Coast of Australia after Tahiti. Oh, when, after, what, what was that? After. When you sailed into the East Coast, into Brisbane, how you found it, how you found Oz? Uh, well, he was a good navigator, <laughs> and no, it was a big country. But didn't you but smell the we're... didn't you smell the cane? Yeah, we, yeah. When we were about three days out, <laughs> it was all cane from cane fires coming on the deck of the boat, and then we figured we're getting pretty close to Australia. You know, George has gone. That's from the cane for, fires. Yeah, and we you actually smell the Bundy rum. <laughs> smell yeah. the Bundy rum. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> did you did you come through like some Samoa? I mean, through Solomon Islands down that way? No, or? we we went Vanuatu. Vanuatu. We were in Vanuatu, which was a pretty bullshit place. It, it's great. Yeah. Bullshit. Yeah. Bullshit. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> Hey, mate, um, just before, like, I know we touched on the nudist colony just a bit. I've always been fascinated. If you live in a nudist colony, does anyone bring up the topic of ticks or uh, fleas or <laughs> small dicks? <laughs> oh, all that. All that. All that and more. <laughs> what, what was like, just, just out of curiosity, what's, what's the, the number one topic of conversation in a, in a nudist oh, colony? Well, it all depends who you are, but me, it was, you know... Chafe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there were some real nice girls. <laughs> How does one pass the time in a, in a nudist treehouse colony? <laughs> Apart from the obvious. Yeah, oh, well, I was, I was a surfer, but, but a lot, there was a lot of hippies there, people from New York, and there wasn't many surfers living in Taylor Camp. Although, uh, I was at Gunther's one day and a Hawaiian surfer come, fuck, what's his name? And he he's actually was a little baby at Taylor Camp. Pancho. Pancho. Pancho Sullivan, yeah, Pancho. So neat, we had the great talk about... But actually, my, my son's brother, there's a picture of him holding Pancho when he's a little baby, when he was in Taylor Camp, yeah. Yeah, we had the good talk about Taylor Camp. He was telling me what his mum did and left him with... There was a good surfer, I forget his name now, left him with him on the North Shore while she went off and did some job. And, and were you growing good. your own food? Like, what, what was the... They the, were there. Yeah. They were, but uh, they kind of looked after America. I told them I come from the East Coast because I had a bit of a different accent. And 
uh, I got food stamps, and so that helped a lot. That was about $40 a month. And I was lucky on the North Shore at that time, on all the North Shores, the, there was a petrol shortage. And there was hardly any cars coming onto the North Shores. You know, it was really good. I had a push bike and I'd ride from Hyena, which is where Tunnels Roof is and Cannons, and I'd ride, I'd had a big board stashed at Honolulu, and I'd ride my push bike to Honolulu when it was big and surf Honolulu and then come back to Taylor Camp. And there was hardly any cars on the road at night. It was fantastic. Wow. It was a it's good just, time, yeah. It, mate, it's such a radical existence. It really is. It's hard to, hard to picture it taking place in today's day and age of social media and connectivity and... I mean, it feels like every part of the planet's been mapped, but, you know, there you guys were, and it's you I'm talking to you here on stage. Uh, you know, you lived this life. It, it harks back yeah, to... Yeah, I feel so lucky. I feel so lucky that I have, and, I'm, you know, I don't really upset that I'm getting that old, you know. I'm just just uh, take it as it comes. Mate. Yeah, actually, talk about Fiji. We're in, we're in Uahini... We were on Uahini and, and we were cooking some uh, tailor on the beach and there was this lady come, because there was a bit of a stop-off point for travellers, and this lady told us about a place in Fiji they call Magic Island and you can anchor your boat there and that. And I said to George, oh, we've got to go to this Magic Island. But when we come under Fiji, George had a friend in Vanuatu, that's how come we're heading for them, which then it was called the New Hebrides. But as we come under Fiji, we got hit by this fucking storm that was so big and so strong a wind that we dropped all the sails and just ran with it and we were doing about 10, 12 knots just on the bare pole. And so he's, George said, there's too many outer reefs in that there. We'll just go up to Vanuatu. So we just carried on and went up there and didn't bother stopping in there. But that actually is Tavarua. Magic Island is Tavarua, yeah. So, and apparently that the guys that set the camp up there got that information from that same lady about that, the surf there and they went, wow, and they went there and found they could set up the surf camp. Wow, who is this lady and did someone eventually put a board in her head? Yeah. <laughs> fucking blew that joint out to life. <laughs> Morning of the Earth. Ah, Brocky, obviously, you know, probably the most seminal surf film of all time and, uh, mate, you had waves in it. Yeah, I, I wasn't meant to be in Morning of the Earth. It just happened like that. I, I was surfing Lennox and Albie got a, a good shot of me. I actually got the wave right through to where that I live now. And I was walking back and Albie was set up on that inside bit there, looking out at the point. And uh, he said, fuck, I got a good wave of you then, Chris. And so that, and then he come around and asked me if I could film the treehouse. And I, I'd already had plans to leave and go travelling. My dream was to be on sailboats and travel the South Seas. That was a dream I had in my head. And uh, so I said, sure, and then he come around and filmed it, and that's its history since then, you know. It, yeah. Incredible. I mean, my memories of that treehouse sequence in Morning of the Earth uh, is the biggest bong I'd ever seen. <laughs> uh, and it was an exotic bong at that. I mean, who, who was ripping the biggest rompers uh, back in the treehouse? Bevan? Who was like packing, you know, the thumbscrew rompers and just, yeah, just yeah, well, ripping well, them? Yeah, well, you had to watch it. We used, when we smoked there, we couldn't have any smoke at home. When we lived in the, in the houses, yeah, we couldn't have any smoke. We'd stash it above the rock pools 
there and, and just smoke there when we're outside because the cops would be always coming around hassling you. That, yeah. Fucking Gary Conehead. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah. All right, guys. Well, we're going to throw it over to you guys in a sec. But first of all, we've a round of applause for our guest tonight. Thanks, Woody. Thanks, bro. Woo! Chris Brock, Wilsey, KP and Tom. Don't go anywhere. We're going to roll some tape and then we're going to bring it out. We can't do this show without Billabong, who are our major supporters, so we're going to give away some uh, prizes for the best questions. Get ready. Ask us a question, we'll tell you no lie. Ask us a question, we'll tell you no lie. All right, who's got a question for the panel? Anyone? We got a graphene wetsuit to give away. 500 bucks worth of good gear. Here we go. A booty, Marcus, a booty, Lennox, Lennox legend. That world title you won, Tommy, is it 19, was it 88? The world, the world title that I won? Oh, that, that shot that was that pipe. That particular shot. That's a pipe Which shot pipe is it? Pipe master. Uh, that's... That's uh, I swear. Ni- that's 1991. Oh, okay. Yeah. I it was. Uh, it's a, Do yeah. your research, booty. Come on, mate. It's all good, buddy. No cone piece for you. Tommy, do you still have that board? Tommy? Yeah, yeah I do. You still have that surfboard? I do have that board. <laughs> Who's that? Is me. That <laughs> you still have that surfboard? I'm tripping. <laughs> I'm tripping. Hey, Tom, uh, can you stand what, up, mate? What no. size board is it, Tommy? <laughs> that board is uh, it's broken in half. Uh, it's not, it's seven eight by seventeen and seven eighths and two and a quarter. No way. Super seventeen narrow. and seven eighths. Yeah. So the board the board was an epic board for pipeline, obviously, and uh, and um <laughs> and then yeah the wallet. So the board was about five minutes towards the end, right five minutes to the end of the the final, and the board had taken a beating for two days. Uh, the preliminary and the finals day of the pipe. So the board had just, I thought, every time I got smacked, the board's going to come up in two pieces for sure. And uh, right five minutes towards the end, I broke the board, just gave up and snapped. So I just went, oh, well, I'll just get a ride in. I've got five minutes. Derek Ho, if he gets a wave, I'm fucked, right? And he, uh, and, and it, just the ocean just... Mellowed out. D- Derek Ho could have beaten me. I think he needed like an 8.5 or something. He could have got a 9, 10. He was, his pipeline, he's a, he's a genius out there. He knew every, every little bit of, every wave was a part of his skin, every cell of his body. So I knew that I was not, I wasn't home and hose, but I went in on the beach and my board, half of my board disappeared, but I only had the, I had the back half with the leg rope and the fins in. So I put it in the in the you know the the board rack, and I and I sat there and the 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 final you know finished. Derek didn't get the wave, <laughs> and the board was well. I turned round to get my board. There was the the other half was gone, and I'm going wow, the board just disappeared right. I thought oh, I didn't think much of it. There's all hoo ha going on. I won the pipe masters. Who yeah 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 rah rah rah, and about. 14 years later, I'm at 
Pipeline. Having a look at Pipeline. It was beautiful, beautiful day. Maybe even longer than that, 18 years yet later. Crazy time. And I'm just... Uh, uh, you know, just watching Pipeline early in the morning, just on my bike. Uh, and Liam McNamara rides his bike up to me, walks up to me, well, something, and goes, hey, Tom, uh, I know where that board is. I go, what? Yeah, that, that pink board. You know the one, the Pipeline Masters, 91. He goes, <laughs> I go, what? He goes, I'm gonna, I can get it for you. I go, what? I'm, like, tripping. The, this is the last thing I was thought it was ever going to pop up at that moment and he goes I'll be back in 20 minutes and lo and behold I just you just stay there I'll be back in 20 minutes came back 20 minutes there's two you know halves the 91 pipeline masters board and I go holy shit thank you like unbelievable so I put in a uh, we we got together with uh uh Quicksilver and we put it in a in a cabinet with the helmet and it's in the surf shop in uh, Haleiwa. But the funny thing is, the person who actually person who took it off the beach was Jamie O'Brien. <laughs> and J-O-B, he, he, he was a grom. He was like these kids running around grabbing the boards at the, at the end of the Pipe Masters, did, all the broken boards. Did you fuck him up when you found that out? Just walk up to him and fucking... I said, what, fucker? <laughs> what, brah? That's a hell of a story. The pipe pot is saved. <laughs> but don't you love how oh. boards... Don't you love how boards come around, though? Is this a North Sydney Bears jumper? Mate, give it up. They're never coming back. <laughs> it's the Byron Bay Red Devils, mate. Know your story, Deadly. <laughs> Hey, uh, did you guys go through the Shippies KP thing yet? Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah. Hey, Wheelsy, I just wanted to, we've been talking about the goat heaps and he's the goat and shit. But what about the real goat, AI? Do you have any AI stories? Um, I remember you telling me one about uh, one in Eureka in Chile. Maybe <laughs> elaborate on a bit of Andy Irons for us. No, mate, I can't elaborate on that one. Come on. No, no, no wait. You're killing me. Hey. <laughs> You're killing me, Colby. You're killing me. See these guys in the background? They're ready to fucking play some music, so I reckon we should list. Hang on, Wilsey. Wait, wait, wait. I, right. remember, I remember being in France once. Did you have a semi-final or a final of the Quickie Pro in France? Really nice sort of glassy three-foot runners. Hey, Blake, I've seen plenty. I've seen plenty. <laughs> I've seen plenty. <laughs> Um, KP, why do you keep burning me at the Rubri? <laughs> why do you uh, keep burning uh, me at the Rubri? Nah, but... Pass it under Kaiser. Nah, but... Will he tell us about Barra? Want to hear some stories about Barra? Uh, no, no. Will, There's enough, enough stories have been said tonight. Dude. Come on, mate. Don't be shrug. Tell us about Barra. <laughs> Rip curl search Barra. Yeah, come on, give us one wave, Wilsey. One wave from Barra. Oh, look, and Andy was an unbelievable. As everyone knows, he was unbelievable. Change the subject. Reese, Reese. Smithy, you started the night talking about shit smearing out the Lennox Point and angry, crusty dudes up there. But then we got 
do you reckon? What do you reckon the correlation is between the angry shit smearing dudes and then you got Brocky, the happiest bloke at the end of the point? He's left Bondi, come up here, gone to Tavarua, gone to Santa Barbara, gone to Hawaii, and now he's come back and he's the happiest bloke at the point. Mate, I reckon uh, once you get out of your shitty little fucking suburb and see the world, and once you get rocks hurled at you in Portugal and Morocco, exactly. and Indonesia and Hawaii. Exactly. Exactly. Mate, it, 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 it gives you perspective and you stop being a jaded fuck. So, uh... Yes! Thank you very so, much. I guess, I, guess, I guess a heap of these cunts from Linux never left. Perfect. That's our, that's our leader at the moment. This guy's got a new Billabong graphene wetsuit yeah, coming up. Good question. Yes. Data uh, <laughs> here. Who we got? Name and then question. Yeah, g'day. My name's Liam. And I want to know, is there a spot in the Wazzle for a foil championship tour? And if so, can Tom Carroll and Laird Hamilton have it out for who's the best fucking foiler in the world up the Swellians? <laughs> No chance. I reckon... I fucking hope not. It would be good if they had sharpened points and they came at each other like jousting sticks. Yeah, we could do that. That'd be good. All right, we got one over here. Couple more, folks. Then we're going to uh, wrap this up. All right, Jed. I know you love Wim Hof. I know you love Tommy Carroll. All right, if you put him in a wrestling ring, who's going to win between Wim Hof and Tommy Carroll? Please put that down. Fucking hectic question. Wow. Uh, both meditation specialists. They're both fucking talks of their walk. And I'll tell you what, I love Wim Hof. I love Tommy Carroll. But if you put him in a ring, who would fucking win in a jelly wrestling wrestle? <laughs> tell me who. Fuck, that is a real mind bender. Um, I don't know. I, I, I want to say that uh, they're both like... Absolute <laughs> budgie smugglers and all. Budgie smugglers, a big ring of jelly, bunch of blokes, all here together. This poor cunt's exposing himself heavily. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, if you're that keen, I'll see you after the show. Scotty, let's go, mate. I just, I just want to know where uh, Uncle Willie and the big fucking horse is. Is Uncle Willie in the room? He's fucking here somewhere. I've seen him. Uncle Willie. Oi, Will Guy. You're here. Uncle Get Willie. Here. Come on. Mate, I've Come seen on, you bro. earlier. Come on. Oi. Big horse. Come on. Buddy, you can't get away with it, mate. Let's get do a little bit yeah. here. Hey. Willie. Get your fucking hat. Willie. Hurry up. I'm a Willie. Wilco's gonna start singing it. Let's do it. Yeah, I'm out of control. Woody knows the words, he's gonna take over. 
big fucking horse. I'm sorry I didn't check TMZ today. What's going on? I fucking missed this one. Is that your song? <laughs> Is it for real, Wilco? Yeah. It's dead. Are you deadly serious? Or I don't have my hat, but like, are you a country music singer? Or? <laughs> He's drinking Jack Daniels. I mean, <laughs> fuck Jack Daniels. What the fuck? Hey Willie, well done on the single, man. Sounds great. <laughs> Sounds fucking killer. Thanks, brother. All right. Yeah. Well, the hey guys. Doesn't I reckon we got pay me anymore. KP, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we got three questions left. We got an all-star panel. It doesn't get any better than this. Let's get some fucking. Who wants this graphene weddy? Yeah. Who wants the Billabong Adventure Division? Ants man down here. Have you got a question? Uh, yeah. I do have. A, uh, yeah, I do have a question, and then uh, I would like to. I would like to say hello to Parker on the. In, in Cooley on Sunday and then and then with uh, Mick Fanning as well so uh, they're, they're one of the my legends and then and then I would like to say Fugo 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 when my when my when my uh, t-shirt that's why Ansman is the man what a legend hey can you jump up on stage with the all-star panel mate thank you all right Who's got a question? Let's do two more. Two more questions, then we'll rip into some bunny racket. Righto, it's Damo here. KP, this one's for you. Can you uh, talk us through that air you did in the comp that time? <laughs> KP, did you get that? The what? That air you did in that comp that time. Uh, I, I don't know what was going through my head. I think I remember that. I tried an air the other day and I landed on my fins. It was not fun. <laughs> I'm still hurting. Um... Yeah, I don't know. It was Karama, so I guess that's what you got to do. Just to go high. Yeah, we're memorable air, KP. Very memorable. Yeah, thanks. JC, what do we got? Justin Crawford, son of the great Peter. Down here, he's got a question for someone. Hey, Wilco. Are you trying to beat Angus Stone? Because I know he launched his song today, and you launched your song today. If you check his DMs, there may or may not be a message that says, I'm fucking coming for you, cunt. <laughs> and if you check the likes and comments and shit, then I think I'm fucking winning. But music's, uh, it's an art. It's not a competition. All right, guys. I, um... This is our last question. Peter's got our last question. It's for Brocky. So, Brocky, uh, I don't know if you can hear up there, but this is our last question. And then what we're going to do is pull everyone, Bunny Racket included, down the front, and we're going to do a big group shot with everyone squeezed in, taken from the stage. So if you want to get in on the gang shot, come down the front after this question. All right, all right Brocky, this is a quick one. Uh, so you've been surfing Lennox for a, for a while. Do you rate... Lennox Main or, or Boulders? That's the first question. And second question is, what would you be your advice to all the young surfers today trying to, trying to make it? Great question, Pete. Brocky, Lennox Main or Boulders? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, reforms at Lennox, the go for Groms. Fantastic. 
I remember once seeing an interview with Anthony Walsh. He surfed some of the biggest tubes in the world and they've said, where's the funnest surf break you've surfed? And he said, reforms in front of Lennox Pub. <laughs> True. Yeah. And, mate, part two of that question was, what advice would you give young fellas today who are just getting stuck into surfing? I oh, just, just, just love it. Just love it doing it with your friends. Don't worry, you know, you don't have to be the best. Yeah, yeah, because there's a lot, there's a lot, I, I've seen over the years so many kids go the contest route and they don't even surf today. You know, you've got to be surfing for them right reasons. For me, it was to enjoy with my friends. That's, and it's still been that since, since I was, you know, that was, that was the best thing from riding surfers in the north end of Bondi with a, with the nor'east wind offshore like a westerly and burnt lips that stick together at night. You know, I was doing it with your friends. <laughs> that's, the, that, that's what I think I'd give my information to them. But, but you know, with, with surfing, you've got you've to, like with anything, if you don't want to get hurt and that, you've got to adapt the right technique and just take that on board and you'll, uh, you'll enjoy it forever. Fucking oath. Well, that'll do me. Let's wrap it up. Give it up for the panel. Round of applause, folks. Kieran Perrow, Danny Wills, Tom Carroll, James Wood, Ant-Man, Brocky, Smithy, Wilco, and Bunny Racket. Foo, go, foo. Thanks very much, Bone, mate. Let's get fucking on it. You're kidding me, right? Are you kidding me? This guy, are you kidding me? 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 Kidding me? Kidding me? Kidding me? You've got to be kidding me. 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 Oh, you've got to be kidding me. 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 You've got to be kidding me, right? You've got to be kidding me. What? You've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me! You gotta be kidding me! You gotta be kidding me! Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Come on! You gotta be kidding me! You gotta be kidding me! You gotta be kidding me! Are you kidding me? You kidding me? You kidding me, right? Are you kidding me? You kidding me? You kidding me? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Kidding me? You kidding me? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me right now? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You fucking kidding me? Are 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 you fucking kidding me? You've got to be fucking kidding me. Are you fucking kidding me?